Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to Knife Talk, episode 150. We've got a special guest today. Um, He's a farmer. He's a food producer. He's a knife maker extraordinaire. And the man with the best sausage in the business. Oh, my God. Mr. Finkel Ferguson. <laughs> he's with us. He's, he's in the room with us. How are you, Finkel? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Good, Sorry good. Nobody. I was listening to the original. You've been on the show once, maybe twice before. And mm. I listened this morning to the original interview that we did with you. That was episode 38. And we're now on 150. So that's just crazy. And crazy. The time is flying. Two years. Two years. So, as usual, I'm joined by Jeff Fader of Fader Knives and Mareko Mamasi of Mamasi Fire Arts, too. How are you guys? Doing good. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Good, good. I've, I've seen you walking around with a film crew, Jeff. What's going on? Well, it wasn't the film crew. It was... Again, I did I did a few things for my town, and you know, it was I probably didn't look as happy or as awake as I normally do, but maybe that's maybe that's just my my, my situation. You know, I, I did a I did something with the Peaks Hill Coffee House, and then we have a small town that a uh, small town uh, kind of tourism tourism thing, and I kind of cruised around with them. Who cares? Doesn't really. I mean, I was a wreck. I mean, it's fine. I've, I've, I only brought it up because I've seen two things that you've done this week. One was like <laughs> some sort of raffle draw where you look like the most depressed man in the room. Wow. And then doing this tour of the town, as you still didn't look too happy. Well, the, the first one, the first, all right, the first, fine. The first one was we, I got asked to be part of this raffle with the Peekskill Coffee House, have to raise all this money. And they told me to be at a certain time, and I was there at the time, and the kid who I was supposed to do it with was 40 minutes late. So I got, like, fucking punchy. And then all of a sudden, I got made it really, everything got real uncomfortable. But it was fine. You know, look, I have problems. We've established this in the 150 episodes. I have not fixed my problems. (laughs) 150. Every time it's said. And I'm still fucking miserable. (laughs) (laughs) 
So we're, we're going to change things up today because we've got a special guest. There's four of us in the room. Um, so we're going to do, we're going to do a couple of questions like we normally do, but we're just going to be a little bit looser. We're not going to have this whole structure of, you know, intros, what we've all been up to, that kind of thing. But I am going to ask Fingal to um, just tell us what he's been up to simply because his life is so varied as i mentioned in his intro he's a he's a farmer he's a food producer and also obviously a kick-ass knife maker too so what what's what's the week been like in um ferguson land it's thank you no it's it's good there's, there's always fingers and many pies here but it's overall it's a farm and um we between the cheese and the smokehouse and the curing and the kids and everything it's sort of the end of the busy summer and um it's yeah, it's, all is very good in west cork thank you Good, good, good. I mean, talking about the end of the summer, we've had like storms like crazy this week. It's just be it temperatures drop sort of ten degrees, but it's just this welcome relief from all the mosquitoes. So yeah, I'm looking forward to sort of hunkering down and having a a winter time coming up. It's going to be nice. Going to be nice. It's something so, we're kind of glad we don't have here, mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And and normally I'm I'm fine with mosquitoes but for some reason this year they've just they've feasted on me it's been it's been the worst but i'm quite nice. a magnet to them myself i, I don't yeah, know what it too. is like my my wife they'll fly around her to go to me hmm. <laughs> yeah it's the same for me yeah what can you do so as we normally do we have a bunch of questions from you but as this is our 150th episode we're going to do things differently. So we've got a competition which we mentioned at the end of last week's show. And it was our, we should have mentioned it earlier in the show, but it was almost like a last thing in the show. But we mentioned that we were going to, we asked you guys to do reviews of the podcast on iTunes because any review really helps us out. It gets, gets us up the charts and more people discover us, that kind of thing. So we've had a bunch of reviews in from people and we've got prizes. So Mareko was kind enough to tell us again, Mareko, what was it you're giving to the your winner? I'm going to be donating a chunk of steel. So uh, it's it's not you know it's it's going to be uh, you know just a little piece, something that uh, somebody could forge into a little paring knife, or or possibly stock remove into a little paring knife, or make a uh, like a little kirdashi out of or something like that. And if uh, whoever ends up getting it is not actually a maker, I'll just slamming into a little kirdashi pretty really quick and ah, send it on you. its way yeah nice that was very thoughtful just in case yeah. yeah what about you jeff what was your prize well actually when this this comes out it's going to be uh the one year anniversary of the death of my friend carl ruiz and i had a couple extra watercolors of the cuban knife that he and i both signed so i was going to donate one of those uh watercolors to the uh, the person i picked Nice, nice. And I'm going to... I, I, <laughs> I got a bit carried away at the end of last week. I yeah, said I, I'm going to give two steak knives to um, <laughs> to somebody with the best review. But I'm not. But what I'm going to do is give two... <laughs> I haven't got time to be making an extra two steak knives to give away. Um, but I have got a bunch of blades here, which I've done primary grinds on and I've heat treated. So um, I'll give two blades. So if it's a maker, you can finish off the knives. And it'd be interesting to see what you do with them too. So, yeah, so we've got two blanks. Um, we've got a, uh, a, a signed uh, watercolour from Jeff. And we've got some Malmasi Fire Art Steel as well. So we've been going through the <laughs> the reviews that people have left on uh, on iTunes. And some are good. Some are awful. 
awful. We're <laughs> thankful for all the reviews to begin with because they, as I said, they help with the chart positions, that kind of thing. So I'll kick off with um, the winner in my eyes. So, so this person wins um, two um, steak knife blanks, which they can finish off as they see fit. <laughs> to be clear, uh... they're not finished. <laughs> Um, and mine is from Drek Metal. Um, and his review on iTunes, I've just pulled it up here on iTunes. It says, it puts some spice back in my marriage is the title. And I love this. So he says, this is the only podcast I can listen to with my wife because I told her that it's Will Ferrell pretending to be a consistently unsatisfied knife maker and his sidekicks, Monaco, an exotic and artistic islander and Crag an expatriate from the US that loathes his home country with so much fervor that it's affected his accent and created new memories of his life in Europe. I can't bring myself to tell it. It's actually some guys called Jeff, pronounced phonetically, Mareko and Craig that actually make knives for a living. Can you believe that it's even a thing? Honestly, I don't really understand what they're talking about most of the time, but the gag with my wife is keeping me entertained and she loves how dedicated they are to the bit. He says she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Oh. Plus, I'm starting to think she has a hard-on for Will Ferrell and has produced some pretty interesting Friday nights for us and really spiced up the marriage. Damn. All in all, a five-star experience. A helpful situation right there. That's got to be one of the best reviews on iTunes, surely. Surely. That's pretty good. So, Drek Metal, if you can DM me at an address, I'll get those um, steak knife blanks off to you. Yeah. What have you got, Jeff? Well, I... I, they were all very good, and we probably should probably read a few of them. Everyone got a little bit carried away, and it's great. Now, the funny part is, is when I did the video kind of promoting this, I thought, you know what, I know people, some people don't listen to iTunes, so I tried to make it very like wherever you can go to leave a review, leave a review. And then I said, you don't have to ask me because I'm telling you, I, you know, it is what it is, and you can do what you can do. So, so I got so many DMs saying, well, what if I don't listen to this? And what if I don't listen to that? And one guy says, well, what if I don't even listen to the podcast? It's like, well, come on, man. You know, it's like, then this isn't for you. But of all of them, I liked, um, I liked Shervin Designs. And his, he said, these guys are the best, five stars. I was listening to an episode and they were giving great advice. Jeff said, stop telling your significant other about your knife making. They don't care. And at the time, I was making my girlfriend listen to Knife Talk. And she looked at me and she said, you need to take that advice. <laughs> then she turned off the podcast. <laughs> they should change their name to the Three Wise Men. I like the fact that I feel like he needs to be rewarded for listening and having uh, having approval from his girlfriend. So Sher- Shervin uh, designs. Uh, give me a, give me a DM me or email your address, and I'll uh, I'll get this watercolor out to you. That was funny. That was funny. Nice. Nice. Uh, Morocco, have you got one yet? Yeah, yeah. So I, this one's uh, is by Matt Coons. Uh, and yeah, there are a lot of uh, reviews to go through. I made sure to read all of them. Um, but I I really like... I, I, I There are a lot of silly ones. And it was interesting to also hear how... I, I feel like in the writing, people were trying to appeal to Jeff. Or trying to <laughs> appeal to Craig. Or trying to uh, appeal to me. Um but the 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 reviews I liked the most that uh, were the ones that I thought would actually bring people in, because <laughs> um, some of them got pretty crazy in the in the 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 dick jokes. Uh, so this one is from yeah, like I said, Matt Coons. Uh, 
And he says, this trio of podcasters represents a great diversity of culinary knife makers. They're willing to divulge the secrets of the trade, which really expand into the entire knife making trade. They contribute greatly to anyone interested in knives, and I've learned immeasurable amounts from them, even though I've uh, used a knife professionally for over 20 years. Thank you, Knife Talk. So Matt Coons, hit me up, send me a message, uh, and I'll, I'll get that steel to you, my friend. Nice, nice. Well, you didn't like the one from Macrillus Designs, Farts, Always Funny, Always Feel Good? <laughs> no, there were lots good. of silly ones. <laughs> Any review is good and appreciated. Did you hear about the, the there was a Yelp review that was done on, um, there was a, a bad review on a place in the UK. And he said, from now on, everybody coming and give me a bad review, give me, make me the worst place in, in the UK. And But everybody review had a little twist that actually made it sound amazing. But in the end, he was the worst restaurant in the UK. Uh, and, <laughs> but the, the way that the, the, the reviews were given was actually a hidden compliment in each one. It was just, it was a, I thought it was a brilliant move. Hmm. I, I've seen a sort of trend of restaurants sharing their their sort of bad reviews um, on social media, and sort of correcting them and saying what. Well, because I think there's a bunch of people who are going to restaurants, and they 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 think they've got this like power. It's like if I don't get the best service and if you don't treat me as extra special, I'm going to write a bad review as if that's going to break the whole business. So it's nice to see restaurants sort of just saying, yeah, what you do, what you need to do, and we'll take the piss out of you again later. It's quite nice to see. So before we we got we got loads to do on the show, loads and loads. So before we do, we just got one little message. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treating ovens available. Find your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. To the chapel. Evenheat-kiln.com. So we started a new thing last week called. These are a few of my favorite things. favorite things so we mentioned as well last week that this was going to be all about our favorite meals of all time our top five favorite meals um it's taken me a while to come up with with a list of five actually for my own but um let's start with morocco sure favorite meals of all time yeah so i think one of the best meals i've ever had in my life uh was at canless which is a restaurant in seattle uh they've won multiple james beard awards and um they they've been around i think since the 50s uh they started out as like a kind of uh traditional steakhouse kind of place uh probably trying to replicate some of the stuff that was happening in new york and some of the uh steakhouses out there but the experience was uh i was still working for bob kramer at the time and we were taking some knives up for delivery the owners bought knives uh, for themselves as as well as their entire st- uh their the i guess their you know their uh, their lead chefs in the in the kitchen and so we delivered the knives and then uh they came over and asked if there was anything specific we wanted and Bob was like nope we're just going to let the chefs do their thing and mm. they took us on a ride that was just incredible and uh this the the sommelier was um was pairing delicious beverages with every sing every every single dish. Uh, it's the first time I ever had caviar. And I know Jeff was busting chops on 
you know foam thing foamed up stuff the other day uh but it was it was it, I, we had i think it was a it was like a tr white truffle uh foam over like a ravioli of, of also of truffles that's the first time i ever had foie gras it was fucking crazy uh it was awesome uh dinner and and so that was definitely number one uh another place uh another favorite meal was the first time i had neapolitan style pizza actually was in a tiny little hole in the wall uh behind uh the alamoana mall in oahu hawaii wow. and uh yeah it was and it was the first time so first time i ever had neapolitan style pizza they cracked an egg right in the middle they had they drizzled truffle oil over the top uh arugula on the top it was just a very simple uh like margarita style um pizza and it was nuts it completely blew my mind and that's that'll stick with me forever uh the next one was in south korea there was this uh in the city my wife was living in in gimchon which is basically like smack dab in the in the middle of south korea uh there's this tiny little again another little hole in the wall it was this a lot of the restaurants have a, a very specific theme like they focus on one type of meat or protein protein in general whether it's fish, uh, duck, or you know, chicken, whatever it is, but this one was a beef place, and they start with this big, like three-pound chunk of beef, uh, right in the middle of the grill, and they do everything like in, uh, in these in-house grills. But the way they did it is they sear off all of the outside surfaces, they cut it in half, and then sear that freshly cut surface. And then they cut it in half and they keep searing it, searing it, searing it down until you're left with little bite-sized pieces. And then they have mm. this huge spread of accoutrements that is insane. Uh, you know, probably at least 20 different things, different kimchi, different all kinds of stuff. And, and it, that was a really awesome meal. Um, and Are then, you okay? Am I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why? You seem intense. <laughs> Do I? Yeah, you seem, very like, serious you seem then, like, like you're breathing in deep. I'm just make sure you're okay. I think when we're talking food, I think that I think all of us would all a bit we all very serious about it. Maybe you seem like a little bit like you seem a little bit like breathy. Well, I'm sorry. You know, no, 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 no don't be here. sorry. I'm nervous because he's a food guy. Why are you worried about Fingal? You were you worried about Fingal? I'm well, and I also I'm, remedy. I'm trying to get through this list, and I feel like I'm taking forever. So I'm sorry about that. No, 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 no. I just want to make sure you're okay. Yes, I'm fine. Okay. And Jeff but is I'm really just trying to, helping I'm, as well. What? To, <laughs> this is really oh, helping. Maybe, you know, helping I mean, expedite the process here. Jeff. I mean, thank you. you know, look, this is a podcast for Christ's sakes. You gotta have a little, you know, things happen. It's fine. All right. Uh, I guess, and so the last two, uh, last time I was in New York, I, I ate at the Frenchette, uh, which is a Riyadh Nasser and Lee Hansen joint, uh, one place. of the best restaurants in New York. It's psycho. It's so good. And again, it was another one of those things, you know, especially if you know the chef, um, it's, it's a good choice to just let them take you on a ride of what they think is the best thing they're offering right now. So they did that again. It was super good. That's and, a classic um, style French place. That's the yeah. Danny Myers guy. Yeah, super good. Great dude. And then, um, and the last one is uh, APL. When I was down in LA, I went to Adam Perry Lang's restaurant, another steakhouse, uh, and yeah, again, kind of just let them do their thing, um, and it was super incredibly delicious and i've never regretted letting the chef especially if i happen to know who they are uh to just let them lead the way and, and offer what they think is the best stuff so if you uh, mm. if you ever go to a restaurant and that's the case definitely do that 
He's right. an interesting guy. Real interesting guy. He's super really interesting. Like yeah, the knives. He, the story of the knives for the yeah. restaurant. Yeah. It's super yeah, cool. Yeah, didn't he learn to forge as well? Mm. So, so he forged the, the table knives for the restaurant. Is that is that right? Yeah. And didn't, yeah, so... didn't uh, Jimmy DeResta made the, co- the the holding place for the knives? And it's a fascinating right. process from beginning to end. Oh, uh, like right. even down to the quenching. And I was talking with him through a few messages. And, and we were just, he was introducing me to brine quenching. You know, this was fascinating. I, I got a lot of time for, for you know, the commitment he puts into his projects. Yeah. What wow. what is brine quenching? Is it just salt in the water? I think it was the, the I think he was. Oh, that's a good point. I, you know, we'll have to Google it later. <laughs> it I think pro- you put cloves in and some garlic, yeah, yeah but pin, and, pickle juice. Yeah, the, they were. It was so when they heat treat, though, I think. Yeah. Oh. So when they were heat treating all those steak knives, they did uh, what's called a mar quench, and so they're quenching it into a salt bath, um, which I think is a little bit different from what is typically referred to as a brine. Uh, or like a super quench, which is uh, just like salt water, um, hmm. and so it's it's heat treating into heated salts that um, allow the steel to come down slowly in temperature to where it's going to be tempered at. So, oh. he's an interesting guy because APL is an interesting guy because besides being a knife maker and he sharpens his own knives, what the I he brought I was brought to his attention because. He was a barbecue guy. He was buddies with some of your friends, Fingal, uh, uh, Bill Durney, and all those guys, all those oh, yeah. uh, barbecue guys. And then what I think what kind of propelled him into popular culture was the fact that he had this deal. If you, because the thing is, in restaurants with steak knives is people walk with them. Mm-hmm. People walk with. I used to. I used to when I was younger. I used to take napkins because I wanted a collection of napkins for some reason. And my dad was like, "What are you doing? It was <laughs> stop stealing shit." And I'm like, "Okay, no problem." <laughs> but with the steak knives, it's a big problem. And what he did was he made them. If you steal them, it's a. He made the cost of them so high that if you steal them, it's a felony. It was mm-hmm. like nine hundred bucks, something like that, or I don't remember what it was. Yeah. But it was like it became so interesting because. You know, he's a barbecue guy, but all of a sudden it's like he's on NPR because if you steal one of his steak knives, you're gonna go to you're gonna go to jail. Yeah, hmm. it's always it's always a question that I have when I'm speaking to a restaurant and I'm maybe quoting for steak knives, table knives, whatever it is. It's always in the back of my mind. It's like, you know, are they really gonna? You know, what kind of restaurant is this? Are they really gonna? You know, spend you know a considerable amount of money on these knives you know and it's a pri- it always surprises me you know even the smaller restaurants you know they're, they're like yeah but you know it, it makes a makes a difference to our customers and to the feeling people get and all that kind of thing it always surprises me it's crazy yeah. so okay we've had morocco's top five meals um all good all good i'm sure um let's go with fingal if you've got a, f- a favorite meal of you know you look back on it you just think and it just brings back all these memories and it's just something special um so i was trying to think of this so five places five meals mm. five meals yeah. yeah yeah i i probably the fine dining kind of thing has happened all over the world in different places i've eaten but it's more than the people i'm with and the whole environment that kind of makes it special for me more than anything and actually some of the five are ones where i've actually been cooking at it as opposed to sitting down mm. because i suppose we're eating the food as part of the whole process and and the one that stood out on the top of the list is um really great friend called ted burner and ivan Whelan there wildside catering and he does a an event up in ballymaloo called the ring dinner where basically we set up in the center of this large shed 
and all the tables are around us in a circle. So basically the ring, the, the customers are in a ring around us and we're cooking the food in the middle. And it's kind of, as Ivan said in the beginning of the event, he stands up and said, this meal is more about us than it is about you. And every course is just a little bit challenging, but mind blowing. And I think that was just the, it's Ted and the guys are very much the people who got me into fire, you know, cooking over fire and, and they're always an inspiration to me. So that would be number one. Um, my mm. sister, I think anything cooked by my sister is also a big deal for me. She's sort of a purist, but with a really open mind. And, you know, she grows most of the things. She pickles. She does all these kind of things. But her food, I think it's just, it's just that kind of nourishing, nurturing. You feel amazing after it. But there's always something new in everything that she kind of cooks. So I think she's mm. definitely in there. Do you have, I'm wondering, do you have a restaurant on the farm for like visitors to come to? No, I think, I think we're probably involved with so many people in that world that I think and most of the stuff we do is all through the day. So to have it then throw a night job into the equation yeah, would yeah, probably yeah. push us over the You've edge. You've got enough on your hands. <laughs> we dabbled with it for a while. Um, I think my sister had a kind of few pop-ups and things like that that she did. She's, she's a trained chef, so she's, she's capable of that. But um, yeah, no, I think, I think what, what we've kind of done really is we did wedding, wedding catering for a while and we have kind of thrown mm. a lot of occasions where we, we kind of feed people. But no, not a restaurant. Right, okay. Um, so other places, the other events, there is this great event. It was the Dillis Project. It was up in Connemara. Katie Sanderson and Jasper, they cooked this mind-blowing meal in a stone building on the coast in Connemara. Every course is sort of local and foraged and gathered. And it, it sort of ticked a lot of those boxes. But again, it was that crew um, that, that sort of the people have kind of grown up with of, that sort of made the occasion. But also we got utterly hammered and... Just we're up until all hours of the morning in the middle of nowhere in Connemara, surrounded by sort of sheep and in the middle of nowhere, woke up with the worst hangover of my life Ugh. and drove to um, Kai in Galway, where a great friend, Jess Murphy, has um, a restaurant there. And she is probably one of the, those, her, all of her food is like a hug. You know, it's just everything is, is bright, fresh, but nourishingly kind of like wonderful. It's just, I'm a mm. great fan of her. So that combination... Um, was an, a, a big adventure and, and great you know meal for me and then i suppose the there was the there's a, an island um off the coast here in skull a gentleman called johnny desmond um has a, he was a lecturer in lavaran in paris and he, but he lives on this island that has a population of 10 you know it's a very wow. small island but he uses only ingredients for a five mile radius so all the kind of coastline and it's a set meal and you go into this house which can pretty much only hold 20 people but and his kitchen is the size of a closet but he cooks this meal it's the combination of going to the coast getting on this tiny little boat the fluorescence behind the the boat looking at the stars walking the mile to the cottage and just the adventure to get there and then the cleanness mm. of the food and and then <laughs> the whole challenge of coming back again in reverse but with several After bottles of wine in your system. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I think that's four. Number five would be um, there's a, an amazing restaurant that we've always had here as well in West Cork, the, the Muse restaurant, which um, isn't with us anymore. But that restaurant used to every year have the producer meal where the producers of most of the food for that restaurant were invited at the end of the season. And it's so in, largely the end of the season for, for everybody in the busy tour season. But that was... A sort of a combination where you'd see your fellow producers celebrated on on the food you'd actually get the experience that that restaurant gave to its customers with serving your food in a way that you would have never seen it 
sort of before mm. or just tasting it. And, you know, the course, just simple thing. It was a sourdough bread and in-season tomatoes. You know, just those things that just the the, the click together of, of using ingredients, but not taking it too far, just embracing it. And, and I think yeah. just having all the fellow producers and the, celebrating, I think, the producers at the end of a season. It was, yeah, it was, it was that, those meals were, were special to me. So just out of curiosity, sorry, just out of curiosity, now with COVID-19 and everything like that and, and how things have been going, and I know that Jamie Oliver has been really pushing um, the, you know, the, the, built, the makers of product in, especially the cheese makers and, and, and mm. artisanal makers, how has this affected your business? Because I know you do a lot of farmer's markets and stuff. How has what's been going on in the world affected your farm and your business? Well, we, we planted in the beginning. When you, when you hear that everything is closing and shutting down, um, you think the worst. And we went into full worst case scenario kind of pre-plan. Hmm. And um, I think that two, two thirds of what we supplied were restaurants. And that's been the hardest part for me through the whole process is, is seeing the service industry affected and all my close, close friends going through what they're going through. But I think that having your fingers in many pies was something that we we're always, don't all have all your eggs in one basket. And all these sort of phrases kind of, I think that's something that really helped us during this. So when one door closes, another door opens. And I think being a small business with adaptability kind of has helped us. So yes, it hasn't been easy, and but we're very grateful that that I suppose we had fingers in many pies. So we've I see shop sales in delis and a lot of that side of things have gotten a lot busier. And I think that was during the lockdown, especially that was something that helped us keep the the ball rolling and going. Mm. So I've heard that a lot of people were, um, were, you know, supporting local. Yeah, obviously you have to mm. do a lot of takeout and you're getting stuff to go and you're in the supermarkets. But I'm just wondering about like, especially with the restaurants, mm. I w- I've never talked to anybody, but I was, I, I'd be worried about like the food waste. Like, because like, you know, people mm. who are, you know, farming animals or, or dairy or whatever, I mean, it doesn't last forever. So I was wondering in regards to the beginning of it, was there a lot of like, what are we going to do with all this food? I think I saw a lot of chefs, uh, pretty much like all over the world, a lot of places started to provide food for those in need. So rather than th- giving it, a, you know, throwing it in the bin, they were finding people deserving of it. Hmm. And I think that there's, um, there's another, you know, couple of lockdowns going on at the moment in Ireland as there are in, in most of the world. But, so you see that people, they, they come at you very quickly. You don't really have time to prepare. But I think you have to be open-minded to... To adjusting to this, you know, these these random closures that will happen. So I, 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 my heart bleeds for those, but I think that just don't have waste. Just try and find some way. Give it to those who who need it, and and or work with people to to find another home or alternative kind of you know place for it. I think that's that's the main sort of thing, isn't it? Well, hmm. but if it's interesting because, you know, I have your book, Gabine, your family farm, it's generations of this beautiful farm and you guys make cheese and artisanal sausages and, and bacon and meat. And, and it's just like, it's very, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible looking farm. I mean, you have the, I mean, everything about it is just very like, uh, it's almost like a fairy tale almost. And I just wonder because, you know, you you know, you guys do such a huge amount of, uh, business. Well, How we're do you... kind of, we're, we're, we're sort of, we're still a small scale. I mean, when you think the scale of, of many things, it's, I, I think that the diversity of it, you see, like, really, it's, it's a farm that has the cows, the milk makes the cheese. Um, we have the pigs here and other people who rear for us, and we're turning all that into different cured meats. But there's, 
chefs, restaurants, delis, wholesale, you know, we, we, we kind of, it's more the crystal ball that you need because of the amount of time it takes to, to make most of the food. So the cheese takes a long time to make, salami right. takes a long time to make. And, you know, I'm glad to say that they do have a good enough shelf life. But um, I think Ireland is, a, is, is actually quite a small country. That's, you know, I mean, we are literally the size of our city in the UK, <laughs> in many of the big cities. So I think that you have to, you know, the, the, I think, yeah, it, I'm really grateful to my parents. I mean, they're the ones who've, who've done all the work, um, you know, and sort of done everything for us, created the brand name and everything that is, that is Gabin. But um, yeah, no, that's, that it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, just all merged together over the last few years. And that's part of the click that's kind of helped us. Hmm. I think it's really important what you said, that whole sort of diversifying and, and having, you know, multiple sort of revenue streams, if you like, mm. um, because even, even, you know, with regards to knife making, um, I found in the last sort of six months, um, I've I've had a few weeks where I've I've just been almost like inundated with inquiries of restaurants, um, but they don't, they're generally not turning into it. I think they've got time, so they're making inquiries, mm. um, but they're not really turning into orders. So, which is one of the reasons why my next knife is going is going to be a a camp knife. It's that sort of diversifying slightly, um, and I think for lots of makers, they are. I wouldn't say sort of hemmed into what they do, but they, you know, they do what they do very well and they focus on that one thing. Um, and I think maybe that's a bit outdated. People need to be thinking a bit more sort of out of the box, maybe, because as, as strange as times are now, personally, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to get stranger over yeah. the next few years, you know. Mm. Um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting time to see how businesses cope and change and sort of roll with the punches, I think. There is a strange notion that apparently on, on January 1st, 2021, everything is going to go back to normal. It's a very odd, <laughs> it's a very odd mindset, yeah. isn't it? Like, listen, 2020 is the worst year ever, as if yeah. we're going to draw a line at the end of the year. Right. Yeah, yeah. Strange. PMA, mm. that's it. Positive mental attitude. Oh, look at you. Look at you. Yeah. All right. Well, that with that said, positive mental attitude, <laughs> what is, what is, how has this affected the future of your business? So what's the plan? What are you going to implement to make Gabine or Finkel Ferguson knives? How are you going? How are you going to use what's going on now into the future? Well, the, the knives is is something that let's just say that the food kind of side of things in the farm, like they are, they're the, the more important side of the business. The knives have always been more emotional and the creativity and and sort of for me, um, and so I think that that really what we have is to always just remember that this is a farm and that they're the raw materials and what we can do with those um and make with those and having multiple recipes and variations i mean even the food in summer compared to winter is is such a different i mean like when the sun shines you, you'll eat salad and chicken bread and tomatoes and slices of salami and in winter you literally want roasts and sort of <laughs> nourishing heavy food stuff. heavy stuff so we find that that you know for the smokehouse and the, the meat curing like that that's a diversity itself that we can kind of duck and weave with and uh, i think there's food that we can kind of make quick and there's stuff that we can't but it can keep so i think just to always have those alternative products that you can make to keep the ratio going i mean what we really want to do is is kind of with the pigs that we're sourcing in and we're trying to source in as well as we can we want to use them as much as we can utilize everything and do it do it, do it proud so i think that that you actually have 
foam book size kind of recipe books for things you can do with with yeah meat curing and there's just staples that will always you know be needed and be eaten and then there's there's the smaller parts of things that are rarely used but they give you a kick to make or they they just kind of you just need to shake things up sometimes there's nothing worse than i suppose than that feeling of like getting boring or stagnant you know you have to just every so often do push yourself to make something a little bit different and challenging and just keep people in in you know I suppose that's the great thing about Instagrams and these things. Those those experiments that you do for yourself and sharing kind of keep you in the loop with people. And there's people out there in the world. The 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 producer and the chef are always going to be utterly intertwined. And I think what happens is that their knowledge base is incredible and it bounces both ways. So I think that when I reach out to my friends, the chefs, they are giving me the feedback um, that helps kind of everything evolve. You know, and I think that we like to make food that makes life easy for the chef and then but they need to let us know what they're after as well. But you know, in the end there's food that's staple and there's food that just kind of excites you and um and it's just fun to do. Can I can I ask you a quick question about your knives? Hmm. One of the distinct things that I see when I look at your knives that I don't see in other people's knives, and I'm I think I think I know what I don't know. I honestly I'm just, you know, speculating. You have like this in the handle you have this kind of drop. It's yeah, a drop step. down yeah. in the in the step, and I was I was thinking about it. and I was thinking about it. And all I could think of is, a lot of times when chefs and cooks use the pinch position, you mm-hmm. really got those last two fingers are wrapping around the handle and the oh, it's like you're a not pinky really... anchor. That, I mean, that's what I've always right. thought of. Right. So I was thinking maybe it's a little bit more. It's a little bit bigger there for that reason because you know cooks are. I'll, you know, I'll tell what... you a little funny twist about that. The, the, the... In the beginning. Is this funny, Fingo? Is this funny? Ah! I'm a, I'm a you disaster can be the judge with that. that. You can be you can break it no, up and tell the story. It's not funny, but it, it, it... he's breaking my balls because I have all I know, these verbal crutches. I know. Cru- I, know. I, know. <laughs> I have these verbal crutches. I have these terrible verbal crutches that I can't seem to shake. But that was that's one of them. Um, so the, how that kind of the step came about? I mean, listen, it's the same thing I found with the food world. You know, you you always like there's so many ways to make a knife. There's so many ways to kind of cure meats, but you want to kind of step, put your mark on onto things to make it your own. So I was always thinking about that. The Rory Connor, the, the, the gentleman who, who very much got me into knife making and he lives up the road and, and, you know, trained under Bob Loveless and is, is just a huge inspiration. You know, I, when I started making knives, I didn't want to step on his toes and I was kind of doing it very much for a hobby, but, one day out of the pure scouting, I realized that, that these blades and the handles that I was assembling, that, you know, the handle is the where you really sort of can, can do a lot of your talking and reinvent things a lot more. Mm. So I made this bizarre knife that had a different step for each finger. And it looked like an armadillo. It was a kind of a very bizarre. You know, <laughs> the early knives, when you start in the beginning, they're always huge handles. And, and then over time, you learn how to sort of reduce it down. So I made this knife and I was really proud of it. I thought like, this is, this is ergonomic as, as all hell. Like this is, this is the most ergonomic knife in the world. And then my wife held it. And so sort of, she was basically holding onto it where, you know, her whole hand was where my first two fingers were. And then everybody has different hands to so say, well, that's going to be a pretty crap idea because it, it only makes it for a certain size hand. So I kind of, if anything, reduced it down. And so it just came up with um, this first step. And the whole thing was the, the, the crime I have and the problem I had using knives a lot in, in work was that I was climbing up on the blade and giving myself blisters under the first finger because I'd climb up onto the blade. So I thought, right, how do I prevent that from happening? Either a huge bolster that goes halfway up the blade or some way of getting my hand to stay further back. So that's where the kind of the, the, the ergonomic step 
kind of thing happened combined with the pinky anchor and so but the pinky anchor also works if you're if you're a classical uh, you know you don't pinch grip your regular way of holding the handle and that Mm. step then you know in the beginning was always too big and it worked and what i've discovered over time was just you know the refining and you know how with knife making the difference is in millimeters so I wanted it to be a nice experience for the small hand and the big hand, but I thought that you can't, you know, I just reduced where that step was. I found the sweet spot that works for most people. And then that is, it's, it turns, if you look at a Japanese knife, the simple straight sort of tube of the handle, it gives it shadows and lines and visual things to look at, but does serve a purpose. And, and that was, you know, I didn't want to just come up with something for visual reasons only. There is a practical side to it as well. Sure. So that's my unfunny answer to how the knife. I'd <laughs> <laughs> about to say it's not very funny, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, y- your knives are those knives that you can look at, look at, and you know it's your knife. You know, and it and it's very, very difficult to to have a style because you know the the, the sharp pointing things mm. that they all do the same job, but to have that visual style that is just that's immediately that that's one of Finkel's knives. That, that, well, that's Jeff, a weird is, thing. Jeff always makes these great references, and I appreciate that. You, you to see the evolution of somebody's work is quite important to this. They can still leave the trail of breadcrumbs from the first one to the end one, and that mm. you know you're sticking to your guns as to why you're doing it. I mean, I, I make a classical kind of shaped handle. But my heart is in with this, the stepped, the stepped knives. Um, yeah. Sorry. I don't think my- it's classical at all. I think it's. I mean, it's. I. You could. I. If I saw your knife in a pile of knives, I know that's yours. Thank you. And it's interesting because I. I, I always. I was thinking. I was like. I assumed. All right. It's a little bit bigger, so it makes your. You know, you're not gripping so tight in the pinch position. You know, the bigger the handle, you're mm. not as tight. You're not holding it as tightly. And I thought for like cooks and stuff like that, if they're just kind of like doing a lot. Well, of it takes prep. the knuckle duster thing out of it as well. I mean, I I do have a very large heel on most of the chef knives, but when you don't have that heel, it does take the bulge out of your your your, your birdie finger, and yeah. and kind of lightens your up. Your birdie the... finger. Which your birdie finger? Oh, maybe it's the one next to it. Which you know, what, basically. Oh, oh, I thought. Oh, <laughs> I see. The, so the, the middle finger. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, <laughs> you know, when you can take that. those. Yeah. So I think the um. Yeah. No, I, do you know, it, it kind of coincided as well with that, the wonderful times where, where makers were out there making these incredible handles, materials, you know, the, the introductions of sort of stabilized and hybrid handles and, you know, uh, sweet corn, you know, maize in resins and all these pine cones and things that you can basically shout from a large distance away with your knife handle now with the materials that you use, as long as and you know i love the disasters you know i I take incredible risks um sometimes just for shits and giggles let's use that as a handle it's going to be hilarious and you see afterwards i mean most of my sister has my the biggest collection of my knives because if there's one thing that goes wrong it's a clovis knife right so she has this kind of mountain of knives that have kind of all got wonderful fuck-ups that only i can see or or (laughs) very obvious but um you know the the best one was the sweet corn handle where um (laughs) There was slices of sort of maize that were in resin, and and you know the center it's like a pine cone when you cut through them. They're beautiful to look at, and I finished this knife. It's taken me ages, and you see the little corns and the whole thing were fantastic. And I finished it, and I was buffing it. Doop! Out comes one of the kernels, and I was like, shit! Oh no! So I glued it back in, and I was like, and then I was buffing it a little bit more, and then, doop! Out comes another. I was like, no way! Oh my shit! God. This is an issue. So I thought, okay, this is becoming a Clovis knife because this is going to happen to a customer. And I kind of realized sweet corn, the power of sweet corn. It can survive our digestive system. And it can survive epoxy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. This is, this is right. sort of the cockroach of the food world. You know, nuclear warming is <laughs> nothing to sweet corn. 
So I yeah. think that you, but you have to go there. You have to go to these strange places to, to find the boundaries, to learn to never do it again. But you never know. Most of my favorite things have come out of fuck ups. You know, the, the, mm. the thing that you're like, I mm. don't want to see this go to waste. Think hard, reinvent it. And that is when a eureka moment can happen and, uh, and has many time for me. Definitely. Okay, hold that thought a second. Combat abrasives make the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers available in any size and at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at combatabrasives.com and get 15% off with the promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now! 15% off. You know what to do. So, Jeff. These are a few of my favorite things. Ah. Top five favorite meals. Well, I had some. We've got. I had something recently, not too. Uh, when I was down in Florida, uh, jo- it's not one of your bolognese, is it? Because that, that can't be making <laughs> listen, any list. Listen, Jesus. Listen, I, I said the. I it, no, it's not making my. None of my foods making my list. I I, I'm, I went out places. Okay. Um, okay, okay. The porters, Jonathan and his wife Emily, took me to this restaurant called Brewster in the Till. And they were, they're customers of his. And like, you know, Mareka was saying that they, you know, with the Bob Kramer, when you show up to a restaurant and you're a knife maker, they're going to pull out all the stops. So they pulled out all the stops for us. And we had such a great time. Uh, the porters are so great. I had a little, what a blast. Um, then I was a, a couple years ago, we went to Montreal when we could cross the border. I went to Montreal and we had uh, poutine and, and it was totally different than I'd expected. And it was in this poutine shop and it was french fries and you know piles of meat and gravy and stuff like that that was really 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 good and then the first like 10 minutes i was in barcelona um hour uh tomer took me to this market next to his place uh florentine kitchen knives and we were just like walking around it was just like my eyes were bulging out of my head and he ordered a couple of oysters from this woman and she popped the oysters open and then she just did this like monstrous squeeze of lemon it was almost like three quarters of a lemon onto this oyster and it was like it blew my doors off it was such and now i go full you know tons of tons of lemons so that was really unbelievable that whole trip was amazing there's another place that i used to go and actually have my christmas parties with tony it's called yakitori taisho it's on uh, saint mark's place and it's a taisho it's a yakitori joint and they have a lot of, you know, just crazy things on skewers and okonomiyaki and all this, like, traditional Japanese bar food. And the last thing is is when Tony was the executive chef at Oriel, he sent me a message. He goes, listen, I'm going to be quitting soon. You want to come in? You better come in before I leave. And he says, you just take care of the uh, the wine list, you know, the wine list, and I'll, I'll take care of the food. And Hillary and I went down there, and we had, like, 17 courses, and I wanted to kill him because – you know, he keeps sending shit out and it's like, you got to eat it. And if you don't finish everything, they get mad. And so Hillary was just like, I can't eat anymore. So I'm eating my food and then her food. And then I, I said to the waiter, I said, tell Tony to you know, knock it out. He kept on sending more food. It was 17 courses. <laughs> A challenge. Oh my God. And, I, and afterwards we all let, we finished and he met me downstairs. We went out for drinks and I said, I want to fucking kill you. It was delicious, but I, I've never felt so sick in my life. I mean, I've, I've overdone. You've, I mean, he was just like, oh, did I send you too much food? I'm like, yeah, you almost killed me, but it was incredible. But I mean, he was like, I wanted to hurt you. It was, did you have your top button undone? Oh, and you, dude, you loosened your belt dude, a little I bit. Dude, I was like, he, it was like, it was, and then, uh, I'll tell this story. The maitre d' didn't like me, and he they were supposed to take care of me a little bit, and he gave me the full bill. 
for the uh, for just the wine list. They paired everything with everything, and and Tony didn't really realize that they were going to do it. And the bill was just the wine bill was five hundred dollars, and it was oh. like Hillary was going <laughs> to Hillary's like, so you fucking choked us to death, and the bill was like five hundred dollars. I'm just like, <sighs> sorry, but it was the best meal I ever had. <laughs> memorable oh yeah. yeah yeah i thought i was gonna die and then afterwards walking down the street waddling down the street i'm like tony i'm gonna fucking kill you why did you do that to me so that was the oh thing. shit sorry um it's my brother trying to facetime me he's <laughs> <laughs> trying to get in on the show well, why don't you ask him what his five favorite meals are uh no i better not let me just uh do not disturb <laughs> there we go there we go um i'll tell you i'll do my five Growing up, meat was like if if I didn't have meat on my plate, it wasn't a meal. You know, I always felt as if I'd missed something if I if we weren't getting meat. Um, but my my top favorite meal was actually at um, Riverford. So you guys in America won't know, but Riverford they it was founded by this guy Guy Watson, um, and he was like championing sort of organic growing that kind of thing so he started then making these like organic boxes of vegetables which i know they do everywhere around the world now um where you can like, sign up subscription service and you get these organic vegetables brought to you they're incredible my sister they... actually worked there really yeah really and, and there was a period of time where she was over there and it's all organic but one of the lovely scenes yeah. you kind of visually realize is that all these woofers that sort of show up are sort of put onto these plastic sleds and dragged at great speeds through the field, grabbing weeds frantically mm. through the furrows yeah. of cabbages or whatever they're, they're sort of working on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing place. But um, And I actually got to know Guy, the uh, like the founder of it all, and he spoke at a conference of mine and that kind of thing. But anyway, he invited uh, my wife and I to Riverford, and they've got a restaurant on site in the middle of the farm. Um, and it's just, you know, just the vegetables that they grow there. And the the chef that they had at the time, Jane Jane Baxter, she released the Riverford uh, like the cook the cookbook basically the Riverford cookbook. Um, and I wasn't really looking forward to it because I knew that there's not going to be any meat, and I was just like, Ugh, you know, the food was the best food ever ever, and it really sort of opened my mind to sort of vegetables, I suppose. So it was it was just like a roasted vegetable feast, but they had oh, it was just just the best and speaking to my wife this morning we were talking about you know best meals ever and she was the same it's got to be that one at riverford so yeah that would almost almost like life-changing meal that you know it changed the way i eat and appreciating sort of vegetables um whereas before they were they were just the, the side dish to the you know to the main part which was always the meat so that's definitely my number one um Second is um, we were in Greece for a friend's wedding about two, three years ago um, in Rhodes. And there was like a bunch of people there because it's a wedding. And we're like, we got to get out away for the day, me and my wife. So we hired like these, you know, those little four-wheeler things, those four-wheeler motorbike, quad bikes. And we, we and everywhere you go in Greece, you turn a corner and there's another little cove there of these beautiful sort of blue turquoisey seas and so on we, we turned this corner and there was a there was there was a restaurant almost hanging off the cliff you know and you look off your table and you can just see the sea below you and they served this seafood there and you know typically what you know freedom airs we'd call it here in france it was, it was just you know lobsters crabs um, shellfish all that kind of stuff on, on ice and i think it was the setting as much as everything else you know we'd escaped for the day and the sun was shining we were literally over the sea and it's just like the memory that that's formed so that that's definitely in the top five wow. as well 
Um, another one, talking about shellfish, um, is a lobster shell soup. So um, a British chef, Adam Handlin, um, he opened this restaurant called Ugly Butterfly. He, he basically has got, well, he had five or six restaurants around London. And he had this big thing about waste that, you know, the restaurant trade, you know, they're known for, you know, that there's always a lot of waste. So he set up this, this place called Ugly Butterfly and they were taking the waste from all of his other restaurants in London there and they were using that for the meals. Things like potato skins and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So so basically all the lobsters from all of his London restaurants, they'd bring all the shells back and they'd make this, this, this bisque, this soup. And it is incredible. It's the most lobstery lobster soup you could ever, ever have. So that, that was probably, I think it was only just about a year ago I had that. And I was there on my own as well because I'd gone to London for a few meetings. And, you know, going to a restaurant on your own is always a bit sad and lonely. But this thing was just the best. And Adam came out and he sat with me as we were eating. It was just beautiful, beautiful. But um, sadly, that's a casualty of the current pandemic. So Ugly Butterfly is is no longer, unfortunately. But the, the whole concept of it, of this sort of sustainable and, you know, helping other restaurants, you know, with, with their waste and showing a value in what we what we throw away was just a massive thing. So I'm hoping Adam can set up something again similar. Um, so that's three. You talked about that on an episode where you were on the bus for 17 hours. That's the one. Right. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, but um, it was worth that trip was worth it just for that one that one bowl of soup. It was incredible. It was really amazing. Um, number four is a, a confit lamb, um, which um, a restaurant in Brantome here in France, a place called Brantome, which is one of my favorite places. So whenever my wife and I can get away, we we generally find ourselves in Brantome. There's this restaurant there, Hotel Chabon. Beautiful place, and they do this confit lamb. Oh, We've had it a oh few you said times confit. Now. I thought you said comfy. No confit, oh, so yeah, it was a very cooked, comfortable cooked in lamb. fat and really okay. slow cooked, and it's sort of it's like a lamb shank basically, but it's cooked in in I, I think it's beef fat, strangely not 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 lamb fat, really really slowly, and it's the most tender thing, and it's just oh, oh even now I'm, I'm dribbling, just like yeah. <sighs> yeah, I can yeah, hear it, confit lamb, it's the one, and finally, it's we yearn for as much as we love being here in France. There are certain things about the UK that we miss. The cold weather on a Sunday, driving through the country and finding like a little pub, we can go and have like a really good Sunday lunch. So there's there's one, and we went to it once, my wife, not long after we got together um, in in Brecon, which is in in South Wales, and it's you know it's it's, it's mountainous, it's it's the countryside, it's a beautiful place, and it's littered with all these little pubs, you know the type of pubs you go in, and the dogs are there, and there's a fire roaring, and you know really good beer on, really you know that kind of British pub, and um, well, we found this pub, and we had the best roast ever, you know, and I think I had beef, and it was it was just beautiful. And for weeks and weeks after, we drive to try and find this pub again, and we could never ever find it. So it turned into this like mythical pub where they they do the best Sunday lunches, and we could just never find it again. But um, yeah, that's a memory. So that yeah, all five are memories as much as any as much as the food. It it's it's the memory and that sort of the feeling that it, is, it sort of brought me as well. So those are the top five for go. me. Mm. What should we do next week? Top five what's? What, what what's next? What do you think, Mareko? I I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you guys aren't feeling this. Well, right? I mean, we, we, we've These already favorite done things. We've done the music. We've done travel. We've done food. 
Well, I don't know what else we would do. Yoga uh, positions. Yeah. Yoga positions. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well that, could, that could change it to something else quite it, quickly. Certainly quite not. Quickly. Certainly not. <laughs> Shall we talk about noise just for a few minutes? Hey, man, can I ask you a question? This is the part of the episode that we love so much. Uh, this is your chance to get involved with the show and help drive the conversation where you ask a question and we do our very best to give you an adequate answer. Uh, I'll kick this off like with adequate. the first. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, kick, I'll kick this off with the first one is from Micah Dunn. He says, what do you guys think about investors? I've been knife making. I haven't been knife making for very long. and I've had a, uh, a great amount of people asking to buy knives uh, asking me to build knives. I have one offer uh, of an investor to help me get a heat treat oven to start working with stainless and get better control over uh, hardness or high carbon steel. Sorry. I'm still working to uh, a full time job and don't really plan to go full time knife making, but don't want to be foolish or overstep my by taking others' money. So taking oh, on investors. That's an interesting one, that. So a customer is saying that they'll they want to sort of buy into the business by buying the but the oven is 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 that right? Well, I mean, I think the idea is what do you think about the concept of an investor? You know, it's mm. you know people are yeah. I mean, let's say let's just say for argument's sake, the guy says you know I, think I want it to makes buy more you. Makes sense, doesn't it? Like at that, that latter stage where you're going to go from being a hobby or or sort of making a few knives a week to suddenly like okay, I'm going to get into making hundreds of knives a week. That would be the point that you'd probably think about that. But in the early stages, I wouldn't put yourself into, into the anguish of, of knowing that somebody else is giving you money. You may have to give that back at any stage or live up to mm. it. Or would they have creative input in any kind of way or want those right. kind of catches? Yeah. It's it's something that I, I'd never do because I like being my own boss. And to be honest with you, the way that I work, nobody else would put up with it. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't answer to an investor and say, "Oh, sorry, yeah, I had to, I had to." You know, I was with the kids all all this week. I'm afraid. Um, it's, I love you know being my own boss and being able to work on my own terms, and I think knife making is the kind of thing where you don't need all the the fancy stuff. You know, it's it's nice to have a, a lovely workshop with all with lots of great mach machinery, but you don't necessarily need all that to be making great knives. So. But isn't it... I don't know. I don't know whether an investor is 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 necessary. You know, for you know what most the way most of us operate anyway. But the, if you were to look at going from part time hobbyist to full time, your dreams are to go full time. You know that there is a big step between the the situation that you're in to I have now. I have the equipment that I can be more efficient or I can do more stuff. And if someone comes to you with saying, "Listen, I want to be your investor." Maybe it's the way to get that jump, as opposed but, to just spinning your wheels for for years and years. Doing the dragon's den thing, it, you know, the investors should be more about what they're bringing to the table. Otherwise, just get a bank loan. Yeah. Mm. Well, and kind of like yeah, they need to bring more value than they should than be just bringing cash. knowledge base. Yes. Like, hey, I'm I'm actually yeah. an amazing website designer. I have this much experience with knives. I know how to you know scale up or do. I'm going to bring the CNC or whatever element into the whole game, but Otherwise, just go and get a bank loan. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, we kind of talked about business savvy in knife makers, I think, last week or the week before. But uh, I think Jeff made a good 
point about the fact that if you're going to do this full time, you got to think about it as a business, as a sustainable business. And if you don't have a real plan beyond, I have a lot of people who are interested in my knives. That's not a good business plan. That's not, that's not enough. I don't think, um, you know, and I, and, and especially if he's still kind of on the hobbyist side, you know, I would, yeah. Uh, what was it? Uh, Jared Thatcher, you know, he was a financial advisor right. and he was doing that full time along with doing his knife making for a long time. Um, uh. and I think he went about it a very smart way until he got to the point where he knew that his, um, his production output, uh, was going to be able to sustain everything that they got going on with their farm and their family and everything. That is definitely, I think the smarter way to go about it rather than say, I have all these people interested, you know, where, who knows where those people are going to be when you do go full time, you know, you just, a, until you've kind of created a nest egg maybe of some sort and, and you got your kind of peas or your, you know, eggs in a row or whatever. This is the things are, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think mm, you can tell. I like all this. I like it when you, I love squ squishing them all together. Eggs in a yeah. row is perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> a piece in a row, is it? Yeah. Um, I I think we're we're in like, like a transformative time. I think for for makers because we're doing something that is very sort of tra uh, traditional, but we've got modern marketing tools to help us as a business. So so you know we can sell online. So you know I I've had three customers in in what the seven or eight years I've been making knives. Three customers that have been sort of local to me. All the others have been sort of around the world, mm -hmm. and you know this this is relatively new. And um, being able to use the internet in certain ways can you know be, be a massive advantage, I suppose. So you don't have to do things traditionally. So an example of that is Jeff has just done his sandwich pre-orders on sandwich knives, so he knows now how many he needs to make. He's pre-sold them and he's away. I've done the same when I did the Sustainable Chef knives, and I'm about to do the same with, with camp knives. That wouldn't be possible any other way apart from using the web. So we're in this real sort of transformative time, and I think looking at sort of traditional ways of doing business um, may be a, a little bit backward. Um, so, yeah, I, I, as Fingal said, if, if, if there's an investor and he just wants to throw money at you, as opposed to knowledge, it maybe is, isn't the best thing. And maybe think, you know, I mean, if it's how your else aunt you... or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yes. If it's somebody who sort of believes in you because they're, you know, the family member or whatever it is and they want to help out, you know, that, that's a different thing. Um, but I think, yeah, where there's, there's options available to people now to, you know, to start up and whether, you know, that could even be like a Kickstarter mm. as well. I mean, I was looking at, um, we mentioned it a few weeks ago, uh, Jaco, who did this, uh, he's made oh, this yeah. uh, Connecticut screwdriver. Over half a million dollars in pre-orders for this screwdriver she hasn't made yet. It's just, you know, if somebody said that, you know, 10 years ago, you'd say that's impossible. Nobody would ever, you know, buy something on spec if there's none has been made yet. But people do. And once you, once you gain that trust and, you know... <sighs> Basically, I think what I'm trying to say is don't look at things in the traditional sense of I need to make a knife and sell it. There are ways around that. But with that said, I seem to think that a lot of people, especially when they get into something and then they think, all right, let's make it into business. You see these small words like investors and, and, and you, you need the whole, I see like investors and labor and uh, is somebody, is there somebody got a bird? 
I can hear crickets. It might be me and a bird outside. I fucking love. I'm so happy. I'm just like, I'm like this is so great. I was just like, somebody's got a bird going on. That's outstanding. Like I'm trying to talk about investors, but I'm trying to figure out what kind of bird that is. So, I but if I get a shotgun, there's very little I can do. Don't about get it. a shotgun. Don't get a shotgun. Don't get a shotgun. You only really hear it through the earphones. But I, I see all those things as like a finger, and if you have to have a whole hand for it to work. So when we talk about I think you have to have a business plan and the business plan addresses the future, your outcome, uh, what you need, how you're going to do it, where you're going to go. And then once you get all that together, and if you say to yourself, okay, well now I've got to look for some money, either go to, like Finkel said, go to get a bank loan or something like that. But as Craig said, you lose a lot of creativity. We've had uh, opportunities to get um, business uh, investors. And when Tony and I talk about it, Tony's just like, I don't think we need to, giving away any more money you know it's like mm. it's like you lose a degree of of control but at the same time i think like Mareko said i think you need the all-encompassing thing before you start to look at each one of the fingers you have to have the whole hand one finger isn't enough you have to have the whole so she said god damn it i fell into that one you little son of a bitch you <laughs> you fucking you were lying in wait like that I little bird one in at least once a week you know <laughs> like that. that little bird you were lying in wait outside the window ready to pop one in <laughs> <laughs> i'll take the assist on that one you little bastard <laughs> all right what's next okay next one is from evan davis um I like this one. He said, what's the deal with stamped knives? I've been asked if my knives are forged or stamped, and I don't know how to answer it. He says he does stock removal. Articles about it uh, that he finds are written by chefs and talk about how a forged is better because the process moves the molecules in the steel around. <laughs> is a stamped knife just a bullshit term for stock removal that people who, who think they know about knives use? I've never come across the term on a knife-making forum or on your show. Thanks for the entertainment. Is it the same as drop forge? Is that the same expression? You know, the, the, I the, thought... the hammer that comes down, punches it up, but creates the um, integral bolster at the same time Went with a hot metal. Oh, maybe. So I it's would stamped out. And, and like I've seen it with a few of the German knives. It, like yeah. it's just the, the steel's coming through in a press and there's a giant die and a mold and a kajunk hmm. that cuts it out and squishes it where it needs to squish and strengthen it. That sort of drop forged, yeah. I my my sort of gathering of this was um, sort of like laser cut, that kind of thing. You know, just getting blanks in. Um, but but it's interesting what he says. about, you know, these articles written by chefs and talk about how forged is better because the process moves the molecules. Um, and he says most of these people don't really know that much about knives. Um, it means grain structure as opposed to molecules. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this so many times, haven't we, that you can have a, a great forged knife that's done by somebody who's amazing at what they do, or you can have a really shitty forged knife. Um, and exactly the same when it comes to stock removal. You can have a great stock removal knife, or you can have a really shitty stock removal knife. It, um, but yeah, that, that term stamped, um, yeah, I don't come across that much. I think it's a, it's a, it seems like it's like a euphemism for you put your foot on the pedal and it makes a knife. You know, I think that... I always thought it was something like, you know, some, you know, push button, uh, a push button situation. Yeah. But it is obnoxious. Yeah. Um, I, it's almost, it. yeah, obnoxious, almost like, are you forging it or are you taking like the shortcut? Right. That, that, it, that, that's what they're trying to get right. at, you know? And it's like, well, it's not as simple as that, you know? Yeah. I mean, so stamping, actually, like Fingal was saying, in some of those German processes, uh, they do have like a, a hydraulic die shear, and there are some 
manufacturing processes where they do just straight up shear blade shapes out of a plate of steel using a die shear and that's i think that's what's typically referred to as or is is known as stamping but stamping is just one type of stock removal um, but what's funny about those germans ones is you know they sell as a forged knife because they upset the bolster they either heat it up in an in induction forge and they squish the steel together so it makes this mass of material that becomes the integral bolster that when it gets smashed down with the one drop forge die it creates the bolster and the next one it gets cut out so it's both quote-unquote forged and, and stamped but what's interesting is that the the, the the forged part is not the blade. It's the part that you don't actually use to do any of the food preparation, you know. So, mm. But, I mean, even if you, if, you know, stock removal and you buy it in sheets of steel, you know, steel doesn't naturally come in sheets. Right. It's been heated up and it's been, whether it's like hot rolled or wherever yeah. it is, there's a, there's a forging element to that steel that you bought, you're buying, you know. So where does this start? Where does it end? Um, who knows? People, well, people say words that they think that are right. Right. <laughs> and then and they just and then it becomes a euphemism and you know I've said stamped out you know I've sure. I, and I don't don't even know what I'm talking about most of the time. <laughs> well, it's I think Jeff has touched on this before about you know people just want to feel knowledgeable. Right. They want they feel like they know something, and but really all they're doing is regurgitating some sort of marketing that they've heard somewhere else, which is where these chef articles are also coming from. They don't really know the process. They're regurgitating something they heard something somewhere else. But realistically, stamp quote unquote stamping stock removal. It you know we've talked we've said it several times. It doesn't matter. It's an earlier stage. I mean, when, when it comes down to the quality of the knife, surely it's the heat treat and the ge the edge geometry. You know, those kind of Absolutely. things, the very last few steps of, of nailing down that blade are probably what are going to make the magic happen. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. The next question comes from Salmon Creek Customs. Hey, fellas, I got a question. I'm fairly new to the podcast, so I apologize if you've answered this before. I'm wondering what you would do when it comes to putting a brand new edge on your blades and how do you sharpen that knife uh, that when it's dull to be used, when it's dull from use? Thanks for the podcast, you beautiful bastards. Oh, on a side note, Craig, I saw your video on the Brother printer and I ordered one. Thanks for the tip. There's a few people who like that old video you did about the the Brother yeah, printer. Yeah, it's a few. I I don't use that printer anymore. I, you know, I've stopped using that a long time ago. But um, Mr. Brian yeah, House, it's been in my life actually. Brian House because of uh, Work for a Podcast. He sent me a. He was using it before, too. Shout out to Brian hmm. House and Work for a Podcast on the Make I Network. I get emails. <laughs> Every single day regarding that printer, people saying, "What tape do you use?" And it's like, "Well, if you've seen the video, it's in the video." It's just people skim it, and they do. Uh, it's the bane of my life that I might even take it down. It's yeah. Is it really? But anyway, yeah, it's yeah, and I don't I don't use it anymore, so I can't recommend it. You know, there's there's far better ways to put a, a logo on, but um, at the time it's, it served me well. But so putting a brand new edge on blades um, and how you sharpen a blade. Who wants Fingal? Do you want to go first? Um, I largely freehand. Um, so I've got a couple of grinders, secondhand ones that kind of go, <laughs> I know you wouldn't say that if you saw some of them, but, <laughs> but I, I freehand them to create the burr up and then I start refining it down. So I am kind of, you know, Japanese knives, that kind of style, getting a very shallow kind of, you know, that, as much as possible, but with the more Western knives, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of trying to create a, a, a stronger edge on it. But I don't use any jigs and I don't do any of those things. Only recently I've got the um, 
for for the smokehouse we just got a tormac and i was going through things with with tomer there who i got it through at Florentine knives and that was the first i mean i've played around with the um different sort of grinders that can give you exact 12 degrees 13 degrees 14 degrees you know whatever you you want to set the bevel to but i i th- think that over time i've just found that i'm in the workshop i don't have anything there i have learned how to do it with the different grinders and i finish off with a um, going through the belt progressions and at the very end use a, a leather 2x72 belt and just can get a mirror polish up on that and i found that that will be just as sharp as any other grinder i've ever used the only thing that gets tricky is when there's a, um, a precise like if it's a filleting knife where the the blade is coming straight out of the bolster like as opposed to a chef's knife where the edge mm-hmm. is further away you're not going to hit or have any restricted restriction for the belt to get at it yeah um i mean we were, we were talking about the choil what what jeff what were you calling the, the choil notch well i mean we were talking because at the time there was a great it was it was really interesting and uh tomer is really very uh, knowledgeable about the tormex mm. but the problem is is because if you have those fillet knives they when they come back up towards the bolster they usually like kind of radius up a little bit and you mm. can't really it's almost like it's not a straight edge and you, it's hard to kind of get that profile without kind of bumping into the, oh. I guess, the knuckle guard, for lack of a better word, with that sharp stone. So that's why he and I were talking about we put in a sharpening notch, that, like you see in a lot of hunting knives, and that kind of, that choil, that sharpening choil, or that notch, gives you the opportunity to kind of avoid hitting your, your plunge line or your bolster. Yeah. yeah. I think the, um, like the... I suppose the, the knives that we're making, we really want to have such a fine edge in the beginning that it, you're not really doing too much sort of creation of, of sort of angles. You know, it, it's a brand new mm. knife. You know, you're right. not creating a chisel. I mean, you're doing something wrong. If it's a really thick edge in the beginning and you're going to have a very obvious sort of definition of the angle. So you really just want to make it as sharp as possible. The more that knife is used over time, the more you're going to kind of wear into it, the more obvious it gets. I had an interesting experience where somebody I was making a knife for asked me for a 70-30 grind. And that was the first time I was like, oh, shit, how comes the, how comes the bevels? How oh, comes the, the, the jigs I'm going to have to get this right now as opposed to freehanding it? You know? And that was, that was an interesting eye-opener for me to have a 70-30 mm. sort of re- request. And what was the purpose for that? She is an amazing, um, amazing chef with sort of the Japanese influence. So what happened was, I think that's to kind of recreate a single bevel knife as opposed to, uh, you know, but put it on a sort of a, a mm. double bevel, um, and it kind of creates a, you know, I think that's more of an answer for a chef, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. I I suppose. Um, I mean, we all do chefs' knives. You know, the four of us on the call here, but. Um... I think if it's a brand new blade, personally, um, I, I, when I'm doing my, my grinds, you know, not my sort of sharpening grind, you know, my, my main sort of bevel grinds, I take that down to what is virtually sharp anyway, till there's a burr there. So, I, I don't know, you Americans, you know, you hear them say, look, 15,000th or whatever made up figures, <laughs> scale that you guys use. But basically, until until it's a burr, so it's it's virtually a sharp knife then. Um, then I use a Tormac just to sort of refine that to, to, to make sure those angles are perfectly correct. But that, that literally is three or four minutes. So it to, for me, it's all about grinding down virtually to nothing anyway um, and then just taking off a bit of that meat to give you, to give you more sort of stout edge. 
Um, and I'd say one of the one of the things that I see a lot of people who may make sort of EDC knives or camp knives or whatever primarily, when you see them make a chef knife, the the biggest problem I see with a lot of them is that the stock is just way too thick, and you know that their final cutting edge is just way too thick because they're used to making knives that are going to take a lot more uh, abuse, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, th- I personally, I think a good chef knife is very, 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 very thin at the end, and it it does require looking after. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm basically doing my initial grinds right down to what is practically a sharp edge anyway. Fingal, I have a question for you. When you're using the leather belt on hmm. your two by seventy two grinder, you're stropping it edge down. Oh, so I put it into reverse. Luckily, I um, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, hmm. it, it's sort of a Frankenstein machine that has. I figured it had like a pig. Running on a treadmill. <laughs> in, a, in a wheel. <laughs> you know, like, hanging, hanging like a piece of fruit on front, yeah, front of Yeah, there's a carrot on the end of a stick and a chicken around, wheel. Yeah. Turn around, turn around. I'm going to shout out of the workshop, get another pig! <laughs> He's tired. He's almost tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put the wheel on. Turn the pig around! <laughs> I love it. The stropping <laughs> yeah. pig. Yeah. One, one pig per grit progression. <laughs> And it was actually, it was under what my you, nose Jeff? the entire time, the leather strop. And it works beautifully. I mean, I, I'm, do you know one of the changing points for me was sort of finding all the Trizact um, belts and, and sort of knowing that my workshop can be abused to all hell. I mean, like I share it with a lot of livestock, you know, <laughs> anything goes in that workshop. <laughs> There's um, that, you know, a knackered old Trizact belt or any of these sort of um, modern belts that even if they're quite used and old, they are wonderful polishing powers towards the, the tail end. And even with sort of, when it just comes down to the buffing process and getting the mirror polishing up, there's a lot of life in those old belts. As long as you're not, you know, going slow, of course, on your machine, you can turn the speeds down. But I think mm-hmm. the backbone of all of this, and even, you know, you, like you all get it as well, the amount of times you get asked by people how to sharpen knives. And the backbone to all of this is get your burr up and then polish it all down and then get your mirror polish in some kind of method away and then sort of strop it or, or, um, and knock the burr off. And that's your, your magic. It's, it shouldn't take forever. It's just the magic sequence of, of the whole process. And then the, I mean, if you are freehanding it in many kind of ways, the, 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 the hard part is the, the angle, just setting that angle up that you do through instinct or through experience. Yeah, I agree. Through instinct, because I got a guy... We just got one of my knives, and he says, I'm using a uh, this belt sharpening uh, machine. What degree do I put the knife in? I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't really measure. I mean, it's it's like what Craig says. I get it. I try to get it, and, and I'm pushing it farther and farther. I, I learned a lot from Mareko in terms of just, like, pushing it and then pushing it farther and pushing it farther and pushing it farther without, you know, obviously overstepping it. But uh, I got to the point where I'm really kind of uh, – putting on the edge with a uh, 220, 220 belt uh, on a slight slack. I actually use my, uh, my, um, the, uh, the slack belt arm on the broad back and they, they have uh, like an extra uh, two. I'm not doing a very good job of this, but, but it's like a, it's like a, it's almost like a rotary platen, but it doesn't have the belt. And then I actually use that. It's nice and tight. I use 220, 400, 800, and then I use a uh, buffing wheel with compound. And then I can get that very, very, uh, but at the same, you know, I learned a lot with the buffing wheel because you can do the buffing wheel too much and then take everything off and actually dull it. Mm. So 
I'm very careful in how long I buff for and, you know, give it a couple swipes and then test it and give it a couple swipes and test it. And sometimes, you know, you can overdo it and then make it dull. And then you got to go back to the 800 grit and start all over again. So, but I don't, I don't, I like, uh, I like using belts very much. And it, it helped massively, obviously, as, as Fingal said, having a variable speed on your right. grinder so you can turn that speed oh, down. Oh, that's so, huge. Huge. Does your broadback have variable speed, Jeff? I have the, the yes, I do, Craig. Very good job. I, I, I have a, I have a broadback set two by seventy two grinder, and it, as I got the VFD, and I think a lot of people are very nervous about saying, well, it's more money. You will not regret having a VFD. VFDs are yeah. awesome, and it allows you to go really, really slow and and really, really fast, and it it allows you to optimize your belts too. I, I I'm convinced that belts need a little bit of more, you know, distance between uh, the speeds and stuff um, that your set your set uh, motors won't give you. Um, it's super versatile and intuitive. Long platen and work rest. You can turn it um, horizontal and vertical. I'm actually when I'm doing my uh, my serrations, I'm planning on setting up a stop, and using the broadback. Thankfully, I can turn it on its side and then use the work rest and actually create a jig so I can do my serrations. And I'm really psyched that the broadback. A jig? Call yourself a nice jig <laughs> and you use a jig. I gotta do Jesus. like I gotta do like fifty fifty six <laughs> times. You know, I gotta do like two thousand. That's not good math, but fine. Well, I hope you've told your customers that you use a jig because I think it's disgusting. You're disgusting. Get off my phone. Uh, listen, <laughs> let me finish this goddamn thing. You got tons of attachments. They give you good value for your money. And if you go to broadbackironworks.com, put in Knife Talk 10, you're going to get 10% off. And you can, if you have questions about it, go ask them. Uh, Ryan and Vince are very, very easy to get a hold of. They're super knowledgeable. And uh, this is a super versatile machine. I'm. They have new uh, pieces coming in, uh, attachments. They got a. I'm really excited about the. Uh, I'm really excited about the integral bolster attachment. They got a. They have a new. Um, what is it when you when it, what is it the the stock the the surface grinder attachment? They have all sorts hmm. of attachments and it's very very. They they want to give you everything for your small shop. So go check them out at broadbeckironworks.com. Promo code knife talk ten. I think that's enough for nice for, for, for the time being, I think. Let's get quizzical. All right, you little bastards. I uh, get ready for, this is my beat. This is, this is a tough one. I, I, so I found some questions. We're going to do the best we can. I didn't <laughs> cherry pick these. So we're going to, uh, you're going to put the stop clock on a minute. Is that right? A minute, yeah. I, I'm okay, not going to cool, say yeah. right or wrong because it's going to be too hard and then I'll just give you an answer. So okay. who's the first? Okay. Who's the first victim? I think our guest should go okay. first. Uh, I know. I, you know what? I think you shouldn't go. I think you should be going first because you haven't done any of the quizzes. And I think you should give Craig a little. I mean, I think you should give Fingal a little bit of a break so he can kind of understand the you know what's going to happen. You don't want to. I can work out what I'm in okay. for as well. Right. Okay. It's been quite strategic of me to never do a quiz. Yeah. <laughs> it's obnoxious. It's super thick, obnoxious. Really All right, we're going to see how thick you are right now. You ready? Let's one do it. One minute on the clock. All right, who sang the song My Way? Uh, Frank Sinatra. Okay. Which horoscope sign has a crab? Aquarius. Okay. Which ride, uh, how many rides are there at Disney World? 72. What is, what is, what is sushi traditionally wrapped in? Rice. What? What color is absinthe? <laughs> 
Green. All right. Seconds. When did the Cold War? When did the Cold War end? Oh, fuck knows. I, I have All right. Which company that. owns Bugatti, Lamborghini, Audi, Porsche, and Ducati? Ooh, Volkswagen. The Statue of Liberty was given to the U.S. by which country? France. Google Chrome, Safari, Firefox, Explorers are different types of what? Browser. Which U.S. city is known as the city of brotherly love? Philadelphia. All right, there you go. That was pretty fucking good. All right, you got one, two, three, four, five, six right. What what was wrong? The the horoscope. No, that's the one you got right. The horoscope really? sign was cancer. Cancer the crap. Ah. No one's going to get Disney World. That The answer is 46 rides on Disney World. And for some reason, you said, yeah. what is tr- sushi traditionally wrapped in? And you said rice. The answer is seaweed. Thank you very much. I, I think I think seaweed is uh, a good answer. Not, it's uh, a sorry, sh- rice is a good answer. It's a shitty answer. It's not true. It's, it's, what is it traditionally wrapped in? That's the, the answer. <laughs> That's the, sushi, is the, sushi is the fish bit, isn't it? Sushi is the fish. Sushi is the fish. Sushi is the fish bit. That's that's the title for this week's show. Sushi is the fish bit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I say six. That was the answer they gave me. You said rice. All right. The next, then, when did the Cold War end? 1989. Uh, You got the Volkswagen was the owner of that. Um, Statue of Liberty was from France. Firefox. And yeah, you got one, two, three, four, five, six. So Craig got six. That's a hard one to beat. It's tense, man. When that when that music's on as well, well, it's tense. Welcome to your welcome welcome to to your yeah. Seriously, yeah. Seriously, (laughs) welcome aboard, asshole. Where have you been? (laughs) All right. Okay. Who's who's next? next? I'll go. I'll go. All right, Mareko. You ready? Are we ready? Okay. Who were the main characters in Wayne's World? Wayne and Garth. What substance are nails made out of? Steel. I'm going to give you that one anyway. Uh, which instrument did John Lennon play in the Beatles? Ooh, uh, guitar. How many years is a law T-minus school program? Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> nine? Uh, how many children does Oprah Winfrey have? Zero. <laughs> what T-minus is the diameter of the earth? <laughs> Holy shit. Pass. <laughs> millimeters. Uh, how many weeks are there in a year? 52. Who played Neo in The Matrix? Uh, Keanu Reeves. What is the year of the first episode South Park aired? 95. 10. What's the largest bone on the human body? Beamer. (laughs) 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 Fucking good. How many national parks are there in the United States? 100. What's the symbol for potassium? (laughs) A big old fat banana. All right, well, that was close. <laughs> All right, so you got uh, Dana Carvey, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You got seven oh, right. Seven. You, you got seven it. right. So there's, it was the banana one, wasn't it? No. You, you're <laughs> in a, yeah, it was uh, – you got uh, – it's uh, – you didn't get how many years are uh, – it's three years to seven years in uh, – whatchamacallit. Yes, that's correct. Oprah Winfrey has no children. The answer to the diameter of the Earth is 8,000 miles. You got uh, 52 weeks in the year. You got Keanu Reeves. South Park aired in 1997. The largest bone in the human body. I would have accepted penis, but you said femur, and that's the right answer. And how many uh, national parks are there in the United States? 58. So you're at seven. You're in the lead. You did a great uh, job. Now listen to, Did you hear that, Mareka? Did you pressure. hear that? Did you hear that fucking ugh? Uh. 
All right. Okay, well, thanks for listening. We shall speak to you next Monday. Get your ass up here. Get your ass up here. Get your ass up here. All right, let me just get my... And the answer, the answer to the nails, it should... I, I didn't... I should have said fingernails. It, it said nails, and you said carrot. You said steel, which... Yes, the answer is correct. Um, now, okay, are you ready? Are you ready, Fingal? So, we'll give it a go. All right, this is Fingal. What was the year the first Wimbledon championship was held? No idea. HG is the chemical symbol of which element? Don't know. Which email service is owned by Microsoft? Hotmail. Which country produces the most coffee in the world? Brazil. Which city was Jim Morrison buried? No idea. Which song was by Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee has the most views of all time on YouTube? Huh? No idea. What's the first state in the United States? No idea. What is the painting uh, La Gioconda more usually known as? No idea. <laughs> what is Chandler's last name in the sitcom Friends? Oh, no idea. How many taste buds does the average human tongue have? Loads. <laughs> who, who did Madonna kiss in the 2003 VMAs? Oh, zero. Britney Spears. And? No idea. I'm going to give it to you. Okay. All right. Fingal, Fingal got one, two, three right. Hey! All right, so the, nice. they were different. Oh, dude, I gave, I wouldn't have got any of them. I would have got Brazil, maybe. So the so the year that the first Wimbledon was in 1877. Who cares? HG is the symbol, a chemical symbol of mer mercury. You got the you got Hotmail right. You got Brazil right. Uh, Jim Morrison was buried in Paris. Uh, the song Louis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee with the most views is Despacito. The first state was Delaware. The painting uh, La Gioconda is more uh, usually known as the Mona Lisa. Ah. Chandler's name mm. in the in the show Friends Bing. is Bing. Uh -huh. um, there's 10,000 taste buds in the human tongue, and Madonna kissed Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. Look at you. Missed it. So so congratulations. <laughs> so now it's a night out. So congratulations to Mareko Mamasi. You braved the storm. Congratulations. <laughs> well deserved. That was fucking Ooh. hard. I was freaking out the whole time because I was like, I'm not getting any, I'm gonna get any of them. And now I know how nervous music. you are. It's the, it's the pressure of that countdown as well. Oh, yeah. You know, Craig, I think it's much easier if you if it's it, I don't know how you did it with also scoring as it you know, hitting the bings and the you know, the crosses. This is hard. I'm, I'm like, a, I'm like, a, I got my, my blood is pumping. So congratulations, our champion, the 150th episode champion, Reko Mamasi. Yay! Well, there you done. go. Well, fucking done. good, man. I mean, I, I know that Craig's a certificate. Oh, you'll get you a certificate. I'm sure Craig, <laughs> Craig is going to be slipping into my DM saying, "Fucking rice, dude. It's fucking rice. It's rice on fucking and also seaweed. Nails, nails, fingernails are not made of steel. It wasn't. I didn't say fingernails. I said nails, and he said steel, and it was, you know. Ah, people I, see I, heard, I heard fingernails as well. I thought it was collagen. Yeah, see, here's the problem. These trivia people don't know what we know. They're probably going to say stamped out knives too. So you really didn't have a whole. You really. I mean, you got I gave it to him. Congratulations. Okay. I'm not a sore loser. I yeah, promise. you're not a sore loser. I'm going to get such an earful when this is all over. That's fine. <laughs> but let me tell you about the sandpaper that I use. 
I use Indasa RhinoWet, the same as the other guys on this call. Um, it's the best stuff. It's, it's quick, it saves you time, and if it's saving you time, it's saving you money. So make sure if you're doing any sort of hand sanding that you're using RhinoWet from Indasa. And we've got a special deal for you. You can get you can get 10% off all of your RhinoWet at TexasFarriersupply.com. And whilst you're there, take a look at the other stuff they do. They, they do a whole sort of catalogue of stuff for, for knife makers. And you can get 10% off your order with Knife Talk 10. So head on over to TexasFarriersupply.com and make sure you use Knife Talk 10 to stock up on your, your hand sanding materials. That quiz was intense. Like, I, even me, yeah. I was worried about how to read everything with the clicking in the background and the, do you have 45 <laughs> seconds left? I'm like, oh, God, I hope I, don't, I, hope I give the, all the ants questions out. Oh, terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. I enjoy doing right. them. It breaks things up a little. Let's take a couple more questions and then we'll we'll bugger off and have a, a, a good Sunday afternoon. Let me if I start with the first question and you guys look down the list and see if there's anything else that you fancy okay. asking, and we'll go from there. Okay. Um Dale Miller. When a blade is is wrapped from the quench or even from cryo, or sorry, warped from quench or from the cryo then after tempering he clamps it to a reverse bend and puts it in the oven for an hour at tempering temperatures but sometimes it takes four or five cycles to get it straight we all know that a good tempering cycle is is two times of two hours each um so does anything happen to the hardness of the steel if i follow this up with another one hour cycle um so what would happen if the blade were left at at tempering temperature for days and days um, so, so basically, the question is: Can you can you temper for too long? I think that's basically what he's saying. Yeah. Um, and what do we think? I'm, I mean, personally, I think your temper temperature is is what does it. So, I I can imagine you could hold at that temperature for as long as you wanted, but um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Doctor Larin would be the perfect guy for for this. And if you haven't got his book yet, make sure you get his book, by the way. Um, but let let's start with Morocco. What do you think? Um, he's on about tempering. Yeah, I don't think it would affect it at all. Um, hmm. I, I mean, it's I mean, it's the same thing over the life of the knife. If, for whatever reason, God forbid, if <laughs> the knife somehow got dropped into an oven or something, and the oven was at like three hundred and fifty degrees, um, and got baked along, I don't think it would be. You know, I, I don't think it would affect it really, as long as you know, obviously, if the oven was perfectly regulated. Uh, but uh, realistically, you know, I, yeah, just, I don't think it affects it at all. You could do a thousand tempers at 350. Nothing's going to happen because whatever, uh, kind of relieving of stress and tempering of Martin site that you've done, nothing's going to happen until you actually go up and change the temper, even just 25 degrees. And I think that's a problem that a lot of people have with, um, with temper straightening. And I actually, I have friends who they, they come up against temper straightening or it's, uh, warps happening in their, uh, their projects a lot, especially like swords. And so what they'll do is they'll do their initial temper at a much lower temperature at like maybe 325, um, just to get that temper on there to help take that stress off. And then they'll slow, if they have to adjust warps, they'll bump it up another 25 degrees. And if they have to adjust more warp, they'll keep doing that until they get to around like the 400. And ideally, by the time you hit 400 degrees, um, you know, you're good. 
Uh, but hmm. it's there isn't anything really happening happening at like a uh, like a molecular level that there's no reason for the steel to change its form unless some of those atoms are popping out of kind of like that martensitic stress in, in the steel. And so to encourage that, you know, that, they always say to... two, two by two hours, for example. I mean, like you can sure. do three sessions or four sessions. It doesn't really start changing yeah. it that much. What, you know, why is the magic number two? You know, why, why hmm. is it always yeah. two by two hours? I mean, I've seen it done in one hour and you can speed it up. Sure. But I'm just wondering, and then the gap between those is literally let it cool, and then you can go again. I mean, it can be just 10 minutes between the cycles. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, I, th I mean, I think, yeah, even if it just comes down back down to room temperature, and Laren can obviously, Laren mm. could offer a better answer as to why that's important to let it come down to temperature or room temperature. Mm. I don't know exactly. <laughs> uh, mm. But I, I think you only need two because beyond that, basically nothing is happening. And that's why I think if you do multiple cycles like this guy's talking about at the same temperature, basically nothing is happening and, and nothing is going to be affecting the, the, the temper of that blade. I had a I funny it. scenario where I, I was featuring a series of different types of blades. There was boning knives and oyster shuckers and chef knives all together. So my first tempering cycle would have been a classic 200, 250 degrees centigrade. And I thought, right, I'll do the tweaky tweaky in the second one and I'll put the the higher tempers onto the you know the shuckers and the boning knives and do a shallower you know keep the same process and i found that i couldn't after a couple of typical tempering cycles if i blasted the heat with the tempering cycle to kind of soften oyster shuckers i it wasn't i wasn't getting the drop in the rockwell um sure. funny yeah. enough and i don't know if i'd already sort of trained the steel you know after a couple of average um tempering cycles now it might be just me and and those kind of blades, but I was just kind of curious if you, if you if they do actually make an influence is a question I have often had at the first one and keep going as you mean to and get the, the early tempering cycles in to do their work in the beginning stages. But that's a Laren question. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Whether sort of set bakes in that hardness and anything else won't. Yeah, it's interesting. So in theory, if you had a knife that had, let's say, you have a small paring knife and you had uh, the scales were unstabilized. In theory, it was finished, and you thought, maybe I need to fix this handle. You could, in theory, take the knife, stick it in your uh, stabilizing chamber, turn the vacuum on, do a, full do a full suck with the vacuum chamber, and then you could probably cure the handle, the whole knife, then stick the whole knife in the oven, cure it at 200 degrees, and you wouldn't change the temper at all. Just Correct. grab the handle, but but, but your adhesive at, at, at your adhesive at that point might that's holding those handle scales or helping to hold those handle scales on might have de uh, degraded uh, a bit. Yes, yes. You think two hundred yeah, degrees does that? I've, yeah, I've done that. Almost certainly, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Pop mm -hmm. stuff off. A little shortcut sometimes I find with an, during I of late we found that with some fourteen C twenty eight N that while grinding. Um, that if you're leaning too much, maybe at certain temperatures, you know, can you almost encourage, you know, sometimes a warp can sneak in with, for no reason um, mm. out of process, especially as the knives are kind of getting thinner and thinner. It wasn't happening to me, but it was happening to somebody I was working with. And don't know if it was in the beginning or not, but I've often found that if you put into the clamp and heat up the spine with, with one of those um, ProMap torches and actually encourage, you know, using the sort of 
a jig inside in the vice grips to kind of correct a warp that just very quickly by heating the spine, bending it at that exact point, reprising it in the opposite direction, and then cooling it quickly before it got anywhere near the edge, you could take those warps out. Um, and it's just a trick that I've kind of, it's almost a, a visual thing. I'd love to draw a picture right now, but that was a, a method we found for correcting um, a warp that you only discover a little bit down the road. Yeah, that, that's exactly yeah. how I correct for warps. Mm. I'll just hit it with the, the little hand torch. Yeah, really but definitely quick. on the spine. Sure. I mean, you can almost see yeah, if, if you dip the blade into water, you can almost, as soon as that you know, starts to dry out on the edge, that's enough. Then it goes into the water. You can almost see it start to brown a bit on the spine, but that, that was almost sure. like a quick way of getting rid of a warp. Yep. I was in a fabrication shop years ago, and we were making uh, railings for elevators. And then we would put on these giant uh, stroke sanders, which look like, which looks like a giant set 2x72. And then when you hit, when you put too much heat on one side, it bows. So I was saying to my boss, well, what do I do if it bows? He goes, just flip it over because, and then do it to the same side. And that would, that would do it to the opposite side, and then you'll pull that bow right out. I mean, I've noticed that sometimes, even to the point where you can, you can, you know, you can pull a warp out on the grinder a very thin one just by hitting it on the other side yeah. doing the exact same thing you just did i've mm -hmm. actually seen uh slight warps from hand sanding too hard you know wow. from if it's super super thin and you're like going full blast <laughs> Dude, you? You powerful know? hands uh, you know, i yeah. wonder try baby yeah i wonder sometimes if let's say um if it's stock removal that you're doing and this is like rolled steel that's come from a big mm. roll and they, they the nature it comes out flat. of the steel whether it's, yeah, like the memory mm. almost of the steel, you know, and you know how sometimes things can go back to its original form, whether it's it's that as opposed to, you know, what we'd consider to be a warp as in, you know, something cooling or heating too fast and warping well, that way. But steels aren't it's, it's on the memory. I mean, if you think about most of the, the, the mm. flat stock world, is it nearly everything rolled? I mean, or like, was it just some of the, the, the thinner stock? Uh, I don't well, know. Don't here's know. something that I've noticed, and I, I wonder if you hit too, uh, Fingal is when I get knives water jet cut, mm. sometimes when I'm plate quenching, if we're talking about stainless steel, like plate quench them, even if I put them in the bag, into the, uh, the stainless steel foil straight, I put them in the oven straight, I put them in, I take them out, I hit, the, I hit them with the, the, um, the aluminum plates in the air. Mm. If I don't pull them out quickly and take a look, they'll still be the same warp. I've got, from I've got like, the, the, I feel like there's half an hour still in being able to straighten warps out. At well, leisure. yeah, and and like somebody who was only used to carbon steel knives was watching me doing this with stainless steels and thought, like, have you screwed up the heat treat? How can you still able to do that? And you get everything straight, but cryo. I mean, I've just got a polystyrene box and I throw the, the the blades in there and they go in straight and they come out. You know, sometimes with the cupping from the cryo. I don't want to know what you keep in your stories. Just push the seam into the side and kind of. <laughs> Why don't you get a snip side. recently so that, you know, it, it, multiple, multiple. <laughs> Push it to the side. Oh, it's so when you good. pour it out, you got to be careful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's what she said. There he is. There he is. But I mean, there is right. memory in the steel. I'm, what I'm what I was getting at yeah. is that there is, you know, every time I would uh, uh, quench this particular uh, knife, the, 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 the warp would be the same would be at the same side every single time. And mm. I could tell that it was, there was memory. I think that you're right in terms of mm. memory of the steel. I think there is a little bit of, you know, tension in memory. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about um, uh. Morocco? Have you found a question there? Morocco. 
Hello. He's lost Hi. us. Hello, sorry. how are I'm... you? Welcome to welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to the game. I'm sorry, I muted myself so that you guys wouldn't be hearing ah. listening to me hacking up along. Um oh, right. So this next one is from Pi- Paul Mile uh Francois. He says, uh hey man, can I ask you a question? What's your favorite way of cutting stock? Bandsaw, chop saw, karate kick? What do you think? <laughs> what do you guys got? I, do you know one of the um, interesting things that I, I had a bandsaw? I, I paid extra for a bandsaw that was geared, and I could take it right down to slow snail pace for for cutting steel. Biggest waste of time. I buy metal bandsaw blades, and I found that actually by hooning it along with thin stock, that actually it saved. I actually got more life out of the bands because of the slower the teeth tend to crack off more. So actually, I found with a good bandsaw blade, the right blade, and the right speed you can actually just hoon through two and a half mil, three mil steel very quickly and then use knackered um, ceramic belts on a wheel to profile them out really mm. quickly. And it actually makes you think, you know, the balancing time, you know, between doing yourself and having variety of blades versus the, the time of paying somebody to kind of laser cut. And I know there's a fine line if repetitiveness versus variety. But I, I found that the, the, the correct speed, a good bandsaw blade, and being able to use the knackered ceramic belts after, you know, you finish with the platen, they, they open up again on the wheel. So having a rest in front of a wheel and then profiling them that way, it's bloody fast. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. I just hate using right angle grinders. Like that is yeah. of all the uh, disposable reuse, you know, parts, that's the cheapest way to cut, you know, if you were to cut steel out your knives out the, mm. to rough it out that's the cheapest way to go but i fucking can't stand using them so i use the bandsaw uh, i use a, a porta band yeah me too yeah. i tell you what have you seen uh, jeremy simple little life him using a right angle grinder to cut out his stock it's virtually two dimension <laughs> like the precision that he's got by using a right hand grinder is incredible and he's just like 30 seconds then on a grinder just to, to just to tidy it up it's incredible it, but um yeah i use a, a porter band too i just find them simple I a game changer just, when you get the band saw it is a game changer when you're doing a lot of handle stuff as well i just yeah and they're not expensive either you know okay blades band? can be if you're going through a lot of blades yeah no, a but a proper band, band you, you know. saw is expensive but yeah. It, the precision then you get from that and like like you know 272 versus a one inch by whatever i mean like the yeah the longer the life yeah. of it and the the more the bigger the mouth and the whole thing about it i just picked up a third bandsaw Ooh. because i got a i got a uh we that had is the, tempting this... between wood and metal to bounce between the two is a pleasure well, sure. it's because i have a there's a repair guy in town and people bring their shit in to be repaired and then when he gives them the bill, they all walk. So he's got a pile of tools that he's fixed for people. And then they're just like, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to spend that kind of money on it. And so he sells them all. And I always walk in and he'll, he'll be selling, he'll have a pile of porta bands that not a lot of people really use. I mean, I think installers use them for, for cutting pipe when you're, um, hmm. you know, putting in railings and stuff, but a lot of people don't use them. And I just, if he has new ones, I grab them every single time. So I've gotten three and it's been a huge help. But I got one of those swag, and this is not a sponsor of ours, but those swag stands, they, oh, they're the tables, great. Yeah. I made one this week, actually, funnily enough. Well, the Come first on. one I got, I got it, and it didn't fit my old, there's like a notch in the porta band in the newer porta bands that when they made the swag stands, they made it to kind of hook into the notch because I was having a hard time. I was losing a lot of uh, 
bandsaw blades because it wasn't really holding nicely. I had to like wedge the saw up. And then now I realize that because I got a, a newer broken <laughs> saw, it fits into the newer one. So it's almost like this notch that allows it to be very, very sturdy. That's the hard part about those Porter bands is they got to be, you have to have them really tight into wherever they are. You know, I was waiting yeah. for you to say that's what you, I thought. Maybe you're gonna. <laughs> no, you can't. No, three? No. You're well, gonna push your luck with three? I was, I was. What do you think I am? A twelve-year-old boy or something? <laughs> no, I no, think, no. I mean, I figured you couldn't control yourself. But try I mean, the try the meat <laughs> industry. Like this is the the, the, the sexual innuendos are, are endless. Well, P.S. Yeah. Well, I think we forgot. And I, 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 Fingal, when we were talking about the best meals you've ever had, <laughs> I said, Craig, if you don't say. Bingle sausage, I'm going to kill you. And then he specifically <laughs> didn't, so now I'm saying I'm quite proud of my well-hung loins, though. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> They're very good, especially the ones Look with the nuts. <laughs> I had your sausage with the nuts Look in. Look at yeah. you. Oh, here it is. Oh, boy. That's yeah. the 150, guys. 150th uh, episode. It's all nonsense. <laughs> a little nonsense. But, you know, actually, do you know, whilst we're talking about um, abrasives and cutting, you know, bandsaws and so on, we, we've had the chat a few times about cutting um, thick G10 and and how, you know, how, how abrasive it is on, on bandsaw blades. It could be harder than steel. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've got a bit of a solution to that. So for a while I was using like a tile cutter. That worked quite well, but it's just so messy because of the water. It's terrible. So now I just use a jigsaw because the jigsaw blades are cheap as hell, just the knockout. Um, you can get, you know, reasonable precision with it. And it just works well. A jigsaw for cutting out G10, I, I, you can cut all day. So hmm. that's that probably the cheapest and most efficient way of cutting, you know, big slabs of hmm. G10, I found. But I, see, the way I do it, I put them in blocks. So it'd be hard to kind of put it down. And then once I'm cutting them, it's like, you know, almost three quarters of an inch. All oh, right. Okay. I, I generally, you know, have sheets and, you know, cut them to dimensions from the sheets. So, yeah. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Jeff, do you yes. have a final question? All right, fellas, here's a heat treatment question. Firstly, why do some people bring their ovens to temperature before putting the blades in? Does the sudden heat change not risk stressing the blade as opposed to letting the blades warm up slowly as the quenching temperature is gained? Secondly, tempering. I feel that we need to... I feel that I need to let blames... Uh, blades warm up after the deep freeze of an ambient temperature before another tempering cycle. Is that necessary? Thanks, Mark. It's pronounced like Mark. Rhymes with bark. You <laughs> 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 didn't have any faith. Mark didn't have any faith in us. He thought I would have fuck his name up. Mark. <laughs> pronounced Mark. <laughs> Rhymes with bark. Um, I've always wondered that. You see some people um, put in um, stuff into a, into a hot oven. I don't. I generally put it in, then set the temps and just leave it. Um, and for that reason that you mentioned, thinking that maybe it would put stress on if it's going into too hot an oven. But I don't know if I'm doing it right or not, but it's you know it seems to work when I... When I, I drop about two-thirds of the way up to the temperature and then kind of put them in. It's sort of like putting ice cubes into the oh. oven. It pulls it back a couple of hundred degrees anyway that you're sort of... Starting over again, and it speeds up the process depending on how many heat treats you want to do that day. I mean, if you are doing multiple steps, it's the same thing. You knock about a third of the temperature off by leaving the door open before the next bunch of blades go in anyway. But I think it's the importance of the mm. amount of time you, you leave the blades in there to soak. Yeah. I mean, that's the magic point. You know, If it's literally in there for five minutes, hits the temperature, soaks out that time, and then comes out, I think you literally probably have, you know, 
If you're putting four blades into an oven versus one, that's another part of the equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I when I start the first the first batch of uh, if I do a batch of like I was doing sixteen knives uh, for this last batch and sets of four, and then the first batch obviously goes in cold. And then once I get past my final temperature and I'm finishing quenching, I open the door and then I let it go down to like 300 degrees below the first set point. Because what I'm afraid of more is I'm afraid of it jumping past. Like if it's, if it's too, there's too much ambient heat in the oven, I'm afraid of, you know, if I, you know, my first step is at 1175. And if it's, if I put it in at uh, 1100 degrees, it's going to shoot past, it's going to shoot past that first set point. So. I like to, and I don't notice a difference. I just got a new Rockwell tester, so I'm going to be testing the difference. It's a beautiful oh, machine, actually. Dude. There's some charm to that. I really like the new one. Well, Chris right. Zepp is the man. Chris Zepp is, Chris Zepperary, Make Everything Shop is the man. He just, he, he gave me the deal of deals, and he delivered it, too. And the thing is sweet. There's something about Super the exposed sweet. inner so workings well said, isn't it? that are kind of classy. I, I actually sent a message to my partner. I was like, you got to come down to see this thing. There's no, I mean, it's all like weights and levers and it's so old school. It's yeah. super cool. I'm looking at it right now. It's super cool. Yeah. It's a Wilson. It's, it's the same as mine, but I think yours is older because yours is more exposed. I do Mine's got the case on look. it. But it seems to have, yeah, it's, it's a Wilson. Yeah. He, I tell you what, if you're not following Make Everything, I mean, he, he's, he's such a good dude. Young guy too. We were talking for a while and 31 years old. And he's just like a, he's just a really oh, great wow. guy. Yeah. Chris is awesome, dude. Awesome, dude. God, he doesn't look it, does he? He looks far older. He look. He, <laughs> uh, he he put the mileage on. Oh, boy, if you want to talk about people who figure out how to do two jobs at the same time, that motherfucker is as good as it gets. Just and two. he has a podcast oh. on the Makery Network called The Handmade Podcast. The Handmade. You like how I'm... Sp- yeah, it's a good show. Yeah, you know, they do a nice job. You know, the funny, at last episode, they had... Something happened to Paul Pinto's... Uh, uh, they have three guys. It's... Derek from Malden, <laughs> um, Chris Zepp, and Paul Pinto. And for some reason, Paul Pinto's uh, audio, you know, crapped out. So at one point, they're talking, and both of them going, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just silence. And it was even funnier because they had no – They then they re-put they re, uh, it up, but it was hilarious. They're, ta- they're like, listening and then to nothing. He's not even there. It was really, really funny. But great podcast, yeah. great podcast. I find it fascinating what they talk about because they talk about, like – big structural things and you know using big lots of steel and so on i find it fascinating all the machinery yeah. that they have and they're good dudes derek from malden is a, quite a character he's uh he has a, an incredible uh massachusetts accent it's intense it, thank, you. thank you that's right he's the bad he's a good good three dudes real good th- and paul pinto was like like 20 he's like uh he's yeah. uh, like a wonder kind forging fire champion yeah there you go. Okay, I think that's enough questions. So, <sighs> it's Sunday afternoon, snoozy time. So, let's talk about what we want to have. What's our dream for the week? What do we want to happen before we chat again next week? Uh, Morocco, what's what's the dream for the week? Oh, the dream for the week. I think I really am going to get this stainless steel knife done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, uh, I got the side, <laughs> shit, still going. <laughs> you can't turn it off! <laughs> uh, no, I, I just got the Saya, uh, like, all finished out. Um, this is a, a very complicated Saya, and, and much more, it's, like, lined with leather on the inside, it's got 
you know, the G10 on it. It's got all this weird spaced out, uh, like welt where the cutting edge will rest. And it's, it's been a huge pain and kind of, kind of fun at the same time. Cause you're kind of making it up as you go. But, uh, I got it glued up yesterday. And so there's only just maybe another hour's worth of work left on the side. So I started hand sanding. So finished hand sanding, mark the blade, etch the blade and it's done. And there the customer go. actually lives here in Washington. So I think he'll actually come and pick it up. Nice. Uh, yeah. So that'll be nice. Well, you lucky. Well, I f- I'm taking advantage of some goodwill because I fixed, I fixed this, I re- redid a sink in our kitchen and I fixed the washing machine. I got behind it and put in a new drain pump. And my family is so happy that I'm going to take complete advantage of it today. And all I'm going to take advantage of the goodwill, and I'm not going to do shit today, which I'm super excited about. That's like <laughs> 1950s husband. You fixed, no, no, fixed it was the like, washing no, machine so my wife can get back no, to 10 minutes and take the rest of the day off. <laughs> no, listen, you motherfuckers. I'm going to explain it. We don't like to get people in, and everything's a worry, and we got all the parts. I, repl- I got all the parts for all the different projects. And I did it in one day yesterday, and I didn't cur- – you know, I got a problem. I, I get mad, and I get cursed, and everyone gets a little nervous in the house. I'm just like, I'm going to be a fucking not an asshole today. I'm going to fix everything, and then I'm going to take complete advantage of my uh, goodwill for the day. So that's – she's happy. About, they're all happy. Everyone's happy in the house. And then uh, I'm going to – I get some things to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking Rockwell test every goddamn thing in this shop. I'm gonna, I, got st- I got stuff. I'm going to Rockwell test all over the place. And um, I'm super pumped about that. And then uh, – you know, look, it was uh, it was a good week, and I'm going to be reflecting on my friend Carl Ruiz, who passed away out today, on Monday, on Monday as his passes. Uh, he had passed away, and I'm going to reflect lovingly about who he was and the guy he was. And uh, he's a friend, of, actually, a friend of your friend, Nick Solaris. Um, oh, Nick, yeah, Fingo, all yeah. those guys. Yeah, I met them through the Big Grill Festival in Dublin when they all kind of came over together. They were a great That's crew. A good, I mean, I mean there's crew. a lot of love between those guys. Yeah, Very the, sweet, the, sweet people. The barbecue people in the United States are pretty, mm. they're pretty tight knit. They're really, yeah. really interesting people. They're very, they're similar to the knife making community because they're very like supportive of each other. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to a busy week. Tony's coming down, uh, which I'm, I'm psyched to see him. And, and then uh, we got, you know, fun projects to go. And, and I'm, I'm ahead on all these sandwich knives. I'm going to finish all the heat treatment on Monday. So we're going to be in good shape. Nice. So I'll go next and we can leave the last one to our guest. Um, so in a similar situation to Jeff fixing the, the washing machine, I fixed a sofa in the house yesterday, where, which I broke earlier on in the week. <laughs> Wait, um, how'd you a, break it? <laughs> being a bit overzealous oh. on the guitar with the kids. <laughs> so they've they've got like these little like guitars and we're trying to teach them like instruments and stuff because i i play a fair few instruments and there's lots hanging around so we bought them little versions of everything so we had music blasting and we're all sort of rocking out with these kids guitars and the kids are loving it i decided to do a sort of a a mega rock star jump off the sofa (laughs) just before i leapt as i put my weight down to the bottom it just sort of broke and sagged (laughs) And I fell to the ground like a like a loser. <laughs> so everybody was out yesterday, and I managed to fix the sofa. But so yeah, I was, I was pretty pleased with that. So I've got 
you know, I've got the afternoon off now, if you like. Um, but going forward for the week, um, there's a rumor that another laser is coming my way. <laughs> a fourth? <laughs> the third. Oh, this will okay. be the third laser. Um, and I've been told I should get it sort of Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, so I'm hoping so because these this next batch of knives, which I'm sort of pre-launching on the 1st of October, um, they rely quite heavily on the texture of the laser across the... Uh, the t- the top end of the of the knife, um, and I need to do like a video to promote these ready for October the first. So I need this laser to come so I can laser these knives, finish doing the bevels, and then makes like a swishy video ready ready for launch. So everything's hanging on that really. So I'm I'm hoping that's going to be here Tuesday Wednesday, <laughs> and and it works. That's the main thing. Third time um, lucky, but Third yeah, time lucky. but I think so. I, th- I can't complain. They've, they've been good. It's just one of those things, I think. Just one of those Do you know, it, if there's one so, thing I yeah. could say is that the, the reason why we're probably all very good at fixing things is because we break a lot of things. But also, going through the process, all the, a lot of the machinery that we have on the farm or in, where we make the food is, you know, every time something breaks, you learn something new. Every time somebody comes over, you have learned more in this short period of time and it's accelerated what you know this machine is capable of. It will stand by you. But I mean, like the same thing happened to me mm. recently with, with machinery on the farm. You know, the engineers come over and if, if you look after them and you, you, you do respectfully look over their shoulder, what you learn on the inside and the outside, everything will just accelerate the whole process of what you can do with it. Mm. I would like to yeah. completely disagree because <laughs> I, have, I have to admit I got a brand new pre- uh, pump for my vacuum, a brand new eliminator, expensive <sighs> one. Glad you said vacuum. <laughs> you little master, you. Yeah. You're on. I fuck. I, I <laughs> used it for a month, and I broke it. I broke it. I it was seizing up. I took it apart, and then I took more apart, and I took it more apart, and I took it more apart. I fixed it, put it back together, and now the fucking thing, the, the fucking thing sucks. But it doesn't suck the way I want it to suck. <laughs> I wanted to hit thirty, and it's stuck at twenty. So I fucking broke this goddamn thing, and I'm like. Three hundred dollars for three hundred fifty dollars down the fucking tube. So I didn't learn shit, and I'm just sick to myself. <laughs> I remember as a kid once, um, I wanted this like radio controlled car. I must have been sort of nine or ten, and I, you know, for months and months, I was keeping on to my parents, keeping on to my parents. Um, and Christmas came, and I had it. You know, I was like, "Yay, I've got what I wanted!" So I open it up, and I'm playing with it, and it wouldn't turn left. This remote control car. <laughs> Zoolander. My dad's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like uh, my dad's like oh my dad's never been too handy but he you know he's my dad and he's my hero at that age you know so he's like oh, i'll fix it for you he picked it up so it wasn't going left he picked it up he played with it for half an hour to try and fix it didn't work after that at all <laughs> so that was my christmas <laughs> ruined <laughs> so yeah if you're not handy don't try and fix mm. stuff leave it to the experts maybe but <laughs> but anyway are we ready What's the dream for Fergal for this week? Fergal? Fergal. I, <laughs> I actually would respond Fergal. to anything beginning with F. So. <laughs> Fergal? I just call him, what's going on? Fergal for said, uh, What's going on, Fergal? Fergal. Oh, yeah, I have nightmares about not being able to pronounce my own name. I don't need, you know. <laughs> so yeah, no, this, this week for me, um, I basically bought a load of acid. I'm going to play with some butts. You know, I think that's, that's yeah. yeah oh, loads no. of oh, okay. I've, I've, I've actually had, I was saying earlier on, like the, the, I had some issues with some um, stainless steel etching. So I'm kind of playing with different mm. acids. And there's some Nagashis of different types, the VG10s, there's all different nickel contents. So I have these 
these different acid baths with different um, concentrations that now make no sense. They're all literally just a bit more, a bit more of this, a bit less of that. Just chop them around. But I've always kind of based them on concrete cleaner or different sort of things I can get in hardware stores. So I actually found um, a source of getting proper hydrochloric acid, sulfuric acid. I found out the muriatic acid is the same as hydrochloric. But, you know, the 36%, the higher ones. So I use a little sous vide, um, a bam, like a, a bamery situation to warm up the acid. Ooh. I know. So I'm going to warm up my acid <laughs> and then just do a few experiments to see if I can get cleaner um, kind of better uh, etches because I, I found only of late recently I was getting these little pock marks these tiny little black holes in at the tail end of the of the um, the etch everything runs beautifully then you you distract yourself you leave it in there for a little bit too long and you come back and that was even kind of so that would mean literally sanding it all down and going all the way over it again so I wanted to kind of fix the the rabbit hole of getting my head around different acids different results and I'm playing around with some Tamascus and kind of trying to use the sort of butt caps. But because with Tamascus, you have to, um, like, I'm, rather than using sort of electric um, processes to kind of bring out the colors, you're using heat. So you can't really put that into an oven when it's on the handle. So I have to detach it and then sort of basically bring it up to temperature, bring out the pattern of the Tamascus and then glue it and attach it back on again at the end. So I'm kind of giving myself a couple of challenges to for some future projects. But um, yeah, basically, I'm, I'm playing with acid this week. Last thing, Fingal has got a great book. His family's got a book called Gabine. It's the, it's, uh, the Gabine, the story of a working farm and its foods. It's a wonderful book about his family and all the, it's got cookbook stuff. It's got, it's, it's an awesome book. Y'all should have it. And and I, do you know, actually, just to, to jump in there, it was one, of the, one of the funny parts, there were lots of funny parts about that kind of book, was that it's the only really impressive argument I've ever had with my mother was during the time of writing that book. She originally wanted to sort of write this book, and we were all behind her 100%, and we got behind her incredibly. And then she, realized, like, she came along and said, right, listen, you write this bit, you write this bit. So it was no longer about her writing a book. And I was in the middle of sort of all these babies in my entering into our lives. And I remember driving around in circles and recording my section after basically sort of one year of not being able to put pen to paper at all. And I just did it all in one conversation, like into my phone, which was emailed to a friend and typed out at the end of it. But the you know, books are intimidating things. You have to you have to live up to what you write down. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful book and there's a lot of there's a lot of um, recipes and stuff in it. And it's just it's just a really, really great. Um, here's the question I had for you. Now, for our listeners, you know, they had, it's getting winter time here, fall, winter. If I wanted to make my own bacon, mm-hmm. how, with little means, I'm not talking about smokehouses and, you know, injections and all that stuff. How would you make, uh, you, got a, you got some pork belly, how would you make a slab of bacon? I think that the first thing to kind of mention is that bacon normally has a curing salt, which is kind of why it goes that pink color and has that pop and the flavor and kind of, you know, the smells and the whole thing that make it magical, like pastrami's and frankfurters and bacon. They have these curing salts in it, but you don't necessarily need those. You can substitute that. So ideally, you can use little pinches of herbs and spices with your salt, rub that in for a specific amount of time. It's either a time game you're playing with a lot of salt or it's a exact amount of salt for a longer period of time so ideally say you're going to put one percent um sorry two percent or so salt into on into the meat then you rub it all in you back back it you leave it for a period of time and that's 
that's sort of or you wrap it up in cling film or anything like that so ideally you know it's about getting fresh pork um it's about sort of what flavors you want to play with i mean you can sweeten it up with sugar you can use maple syrup you can do all kinds of lovely things a friend of mine actually makes some amazing bacon and she rubs coffee grinds into it and sweetens it up with maple syrup and cures it that way. It's when you look at it, you think somebody's used too much pepper, and then you taste it. And it's actually got the coffee flavor through it and the sweetness of the maple syrup. But in America, you love belly, and of this part of the world, we love the loin. Um, um, so call it streaky or the loin bacon. But I, the the one thing in the kind of I find with all food, the make or break of anything, the thing that will embarrass you or or make you the hero is salt. I mean, that's the thing that, that will embarrass you in the end because you can always add more, but you can't really take it out. Um, so those are the things you need to read up on, the different processes or whatever you're going to do yourself. You know, just either get the exact amount of salt you want to put in there or find the process of, of doing that because very lean pork versus very fatty will absorb in different ways. So yeah, I'm getting nerdy. I'm, I'm going <laughs> too far with this. But ideally, I think that if it's... the um, the the way I was originally sold was showed how to do it was just sprinkle a bit of salt on for a few hours, wash it off, and um, sprinkle pepper on the outside of it, and then um, hang it up to in in somewhere near a smoke source or or make your own. I mean, you can literally use gastro trays with perforated layers and smolder down um, uh, chips of wood, or you can do an offset process in a in a barbecue at the back of the house. You can do numbers of different things to you can you do it with hay, with tea. I've seen so many variations of smoking. But um in principle it's it's just finding the, the the way of getting the exact amount of salt in there. And if you want to up your game, learn about curing salts and buy yeah. some pre made um curing mixes. So hopefully I answered the question. Yeah I did. Cool. Cool. So Fingal People can see your work at FingalFergusonKnives.com. Um, I went on earlier just to do a bit more research because I know we've, we've chatted before in the past, but I just wanted to see what was going on in your life at the moment. And you've got these amazing T-shirts, which which I've already ordered one now. Um, but Thank you. If anybody's looking for... <laughs> Funny um, that you say that. I ordered Probably two. the best designed uh, knife, you know, you know, the maker T-shirt. Well, you know, that was the amazing black Jessica. Black white T-shirt. Yeah, Jessica, rather, was, was a, a, a really wonderful, wonderful lady with great skills. You know, we, we've met... Uh, a couple of times when she's come over, um, the partner to to Ireland, and and the, mm. it was just one of those things where I wanted to get one T-shirt made, and then you'd ask for a subtle change, and it, all these other ideas would just pop up, and it ended up being four designs when I just really was looking for one at the beginning because she's just <laughs> that creative, and mm. um, I think it, it it's a fun process. I mean, the T-shirts were were more something I wanted to almost make for my kids or for, to 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 you know, just that itch to scratch but uh yeah thank you <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah, anyway everybody go take a look at fingles t-shirts get yourself one <laughs> and yeah i don't think you'll regret it that's a show that's a show just over two hours believe it or not so thank you all for listening 150 shows um in the pocket now that's amazing thank you all for listening thank you for your reviews keep the reviews coming because they really do help us um get discovered by more and more people and you know we've all got egos we all want as many people as we can to listen to the show so thank you very much and we should all speak to you next week bye for now bye 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 If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.